This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I am Lisa. And I am Kara. And we love to talk about Law & Order SVU, the true crimes the episodes are based on, and interview amazing actors from the show. But we also are going to be on tour coming this fall, guys. It's only like two and a half weeks away from tour now. Uh, We're kicking it off in D.C. on September 10th. Those tickets are going fast. Come see us and then... We're going to be in, um, you know, 21 cities this fall, but the first ones coming up in September are D.C., Atlanta, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Raleigh, North Carolina. Those are going to be our only Southern shows uh, this year. So if you live anywhere in the South and that's travelable for you, come on and see us. And uh, yeah, and then check out that'smessedupplive.com. Yeah, get on your horses and ride down to (laughs) Raleigh. But go to that'smessedupplive.com for all of our tour dates. And that has all of our cities and ticket links and everything you need to know about us. Also includes links to our merch. And someone else in our life has merch right now. I'm doing a drop. Um, so <gasps> She's dropping. It's, it's a couple weeks. We only have like a few weeks to buy. So the drop is there. Hit up my Instagram at Glitter Cheese. But... I have a clear fanny pack for concerts, air fresheners, T-shirts, lighters, cute stuff. This is glitter cheese. Um, And 
I'm really excited about it. So buy my merch. And also, I'm doing stand-up um, in D.C. and a lot of the dates that were running around town. Basically, I would say my August to December will be on the road. Mostly yeah. on the road, which is thrilling. I got to get my diamond status, so... And we'll show some of the Glitter Cheese merch on our Instagram, but obviously Lisa's Instagram is going to have it. So follow Glitter Cheese on IG for all of her merch and stand-up stuff. And then what else is going on? Oh, well, we're late. We're in the time machine, but we're also late even in the time machine because big news, we did post this on our Instagram the day that it broke, but... They caught the Gilgo Beach killer. If you listened to our episode, uh, Daydream Believer, where we got to talk to the very cool Dallas Roberts, you will recall that I covered the Long Island serial killer, AKA the Gilgo Beach killer. They fucking found this guy. It's so crazy. They found some of his wife's hair in duct tape on the body. And this man is like a, uh, what is it, an architect or something? He's just like a man that lives on Long Island with a family and a wife who has just been straight up killing sex workers and dumping them in Long Island. It's just crazy. Just like- I'm glad he was fucking caught. Yeah. Massapequa and, Park is where this guy lived. And I wonder if they would have caught him sooner if it wasn't sex workers or if they just really needed this break in the hair. The hair. Was that it? Was there more evidence? I don't know. I've been like poking around. The hair's the only thing I've heard of. I've been like looking at a bunch of stuff, but like a lot of the current articles about how his wife is so sad and her kids are upset because obviously their dad is a serial killer and that's, um, you know, that's a lot. But um, I guess CNN has an article that says a flood of evidence has come in since the suspect's arrests. So it's like now that he's been arrested, I bet they're, they can they can prove, they said they think they can prove three murders and I know they're trying to get a fourth one tacked on there too. I think we covered one of them where they're saying he didn't do that and like that woman's family is like, I think he did do it. Like, I think it might be the woman that was found with her kid as well. I think they're saying that one maybe not connected, but you know, we'll see. I can't wait for this to go to trial and this guy to fucking get, you know get what's coming to him. But it's just crazy that they found him after all these years. I mean, they found the fucking Golden State Killer after decades. So you cannot get away with this stuff. Everyone is going to find you with your DNA or your hair or whatever. Jared and I talked about this on stage and he goes, what are the chances of your hair being on me? I go, very good. My hair is all over our house. It is constantly like girl's hair, at least mine, is fucking fully in making dust bunnies in my house always. Yeah, so. everywhere I go, my hair is dropping. My little single-use eye drops are, uh, there is a trail <laughs> and there will be bobby pins. Yes. I know where Lisa's been because of those single-use eye drops for sure. Um, I always like They're check them everywhere. to see if there's anything left in them. I'm like, oh, this is still a full one. Well, and then from Gilgo Beach Killer, we have to go to the other big news that uh, Time Machine vibes and that is the Barbie movie. Oh, yep. We both saw it. We did both see it and, you know, I am not at the posts I was seeing on social media. I do not. I'm not there. I was not bawling at the end. Um, I did not find it feminist. Well, and- a friend of ours that we both have some difficulty with. I just saw her on Sunday and she was like, the end. I mean, the end. I was bawling at the end. And I was like, 
oh, the montage of women living their lives that was me. She was like, yeah. And I, I, the whole time I was watching it, I was like, I can't believe this is getting me. And I was like, yeah, I can't believe it was getting you either. <laughs> Although I do, I do admit that I teared up a couple times during the movie. It wasn't during that. I, I just, I have been saying I liked a lot of it and I didn't like a lot of it. There was a lot of it I thought to like, but there was and a I lot think- of it that I didn't like. And I just think we're all in a marketing haze. Yes. Where we were just anticipating for so long and everyone's like, that's incredible. So you're there and you're kind of tricked in a way of like, this was everything. But then I I ask anyone, write us in. What was feminist about that movie? It was supposed to be about a movie about Barbie. It was a movie about Ken and the patriarchy. Um, Ken had the songs. Ken's had the jokes. Why would Ken go? Why wasn't it a movie about Barbies and women and girls? It was about men. That movie was about men. So to me, I, I, why would the president Barbie have less lines and no jokes than all these? And it was a very white movie outside of Issa Rae, who had maybe a few lines. It's just like very white, very heteronormative. I don't know what the conservatives are upset about. It's very pink, very blue. There's no intermixing. (laughs) To leave a matriarchal, amazing society and make it better or bring America Ferrera and all the girls to Barbie land. Instead, she gives it all up to go to the gynecologist in the real world. Not to change it, like to live in a place where no one respects her or likes her. But, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah. What I liked was when they first got to the human world. Like yes. that to me was fun because it was like, and Karen and I talked about this a lot um, where it was like, she doesn't show, she tells. And the whole point of storytelling is you show, not tell. And it's like she had heavy handed monologues and messaging. And yet the plot abandoned all of that. And it, it didn't show anything. It was just, like, it yeah. showed, it was just monologues. It was weird. And then the part that in the theater itself, without like being influenced by like different friends I was talking to and communicating with people, like in the theater, what bothered me was when Barbie apologized to Ken, when Ken's like, well, now you know how it feels. And it's like, are we saying that the Barbies and the Kens did equal damage to Barbie land? I'm sorry. I think the Barbies didn't disrespect Ken. Like, all the conservatives being like, and what they did to men. I go, what? The men got to go to the beach, hang out, chill. It's just like women didn't circle their lives around romantic love or the Kens. And also what was brought to my attention is we don't play with Kens. Did you play with a Ken when you were a kid? Mm -mm. That's why the Kens don't have anything because we don't want to play with Ken. But Why also the lives to make that Ken, Ken happen. Have, the lives that Ken's had in the beginning of the movie are the lives that men think women should be happy to have. You should be happy to sit around and look pretty and do beach and like, you know, whatever. And I mean, actually, I think they expect more from women, but like that that I, it wasn't that bad what they were doing to the Kens. Nothing but. was bad. It's if the whole thing is how girls play with the dolls is what makes the wor- Barbie Land move. Young girls are not playing with Kens. I liked more, like you said, them in the real world. Barbie and in the real world or Barbie and a couple more Barbies in the real world would have been fun. I liked Barbie in the real world. I didn't think it needed to be Ken. I didn't need to think Ken needed to have the big 
epiphany about what it's like. I mean, like we've talked about this before, but like it just all felt very 10 years ago. Like the discourse was like very 10 years ago. Again, I do think it was like a huge thing for her to make this massive corporate juggernaut movie based on a current, a beloved known property, but also a controversial property, which a lot of people think the movie didn't let Barbie off the hook like at all for, you know, being a, an unrealistic female beauty ideal that a lot of girls look to for decades and decades. But I just never was affected by Barbie in that way. I just liked playing with dolls. Like, I don't, do boys think they have to look like Batman? Like, I don't understand why, like, as kids playing with the Barbies, there was never, the dolls did not affect my self-esteem. Like, I, it's the messaging around it. It was like grownups telling us it's bad. But like, I don't think a Barbie in itself is bad. Well, I think that people might argue that like, you don't know that it was affecting you. Like subconsciously, it's in your mind. Like, oh, you want to be like tall with a thin waist and like wear cool clothes. And like, I don't know. Yeah, but I also had tons of other dolls and I didn't look at any of my other dolls going, well, I got to look like this witch. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I had stuffed animals. I had popples. I had a stuffed bunny that smelled no, like jelly beans. I had a like- popple too. I love my popple. <laughs> oh my God. No, I had a glow worm. I know what you're saying. Like, I never really felt, but I also think my my window with Barbies was very short too. I was not like obsessed. I think I had a few when we moved and I like don't think I had them anymore. Like, they were not a huge part of my life, but I wonder, I'm sure there's a million pieces of feminist critique out there about how Barbie, you know, was hard. But what I'm saying is this movie, it's like, you're you're right. It was a marketing haze. Like we have been like assaulted by Barbie. So many corporate tie-ins. So many like- Because we love Barbie. Like that's the thing. Like we get to still- like Barbie's exists outside of this one movie as well. Yes. But Julia brought this point up since we've talked and uh-huh. I didn't think about it, but this whole thing of like the side with Margot Robbie where they were like, and it's weird that we booked Margot Robbie to be having this speech about not feeling good about herself or whatever, but it's like the people that care the most are people like Margot Robbie. Her whole career and everything is built. I mean, she's very talented. I would say the acting in this movie is great, but it's like, those are the people that are worried the most. And I know you really like this moment, but like if someone that looks like Margot Robbie turned to you and you were an old woman and went, you're beautiful, would you not like flick her off? But I think she did. That's why I like the moment. She goes, I know it. The woman goes, I know. She wasn't like, wow, Barbie, this beautiful girl told me I'm beautiful. Like she wasn't like flabber, like she wasn't thrown at all. She was like, yes, of course I'm fucking beautiful. That's what I liked about the woman. Like the woman's confidence. Oh, the woman's cool. But I just thought that, but back to like the Ken thing, like when the Kens had Barbie land, they put them in maid outfits, took their jobs, took their houses, started a war, tried to take away the constitution, made them beer wenches, and the Barbies had to apologize to the Kens because the Kens had to do beach because girls don't play with Kens. We don't want to yeah. play with Kens. I, like, I know all the Ken Enough merch is selling, but like, no one's going to start buying Kens. Nobody wants a Ken. <laughs> That's why I don't understand why the movie had to be Barbie and he's just Ken. Fuck Ken. Yeah. Why can't Skipper talk? Where the fuck is Skipper? Where's no, that flat-footed I, that's bitch? That's the point I agreed on. I agree on the most is like, it would have been cool if it was like just a movie for girl, like just a girl movie, like just a movie about a girl toy for a girl, like for women. Like that's But not- then I liked what you said where it's like, we can show these themes. Like if Barbie's trying to talk and men at Mattel keep interrupting her, like there's ways to show these things without 
heavy-handed messaging yeah, that you like abandoned the, in the plot. The America Ferrera like long speech like killed me. Like uh, that was so lame to me and I was just like there's ways we can show this instead of telling it. Like have Barbie in the real world a little bit longer. Like have her really like I don't understand like here men don't listen to me when I talk or I don't understand here like Ken and I both wanted to get the same job and I'm getting paid less. I don't know. There's there's all these like, uh, this is brainstorming. I'm obviously not a writer for this movie. No, but like it would be fun. And just now thinking, and it's like, if the patriarchy is so good, why didn't the Kens go to the real world? Yeah. Because they would actually have to get jobs. They don't want and that. And they were not qualified <laughs> to do anything. Yeah. He couldn't do anything there. So that, it, it just, the thing is, we're allowed to have bad, I, I'm going to see it again. I'm going to probably watch it on a plane. I'm going to keep watching it. I'm sure it's going to be in my repertoire. Like I watch movies that are worse than Barbie, but the, I just don't think it's that good. But we're, I hope there's a Barbie two and three and women get to just direct stuff. And hopefully it's not just one woman at a time. I really hope it's like Barbie two just about the Barbies. Like, like, just make it about the Barbie. Because now it's like, you've already sold it. It's already made a bajillion dollars. Like, let's just, it's proof of concept. Now make the second one a truly, like, feminist movie. Because- And the gynecologist, like, that to me is the dumb, like, the gyno isn't fun. So what you're saying is she goes to the real world and the best, coolest, first thing she could do as a woman is go to a medical professional? And, like, what you said, that a woman with a vagina that goes to the gynecologist is, like, the, you know, that's a woman, which is, like, that's, you know, there's a lot of... That's what I mean. Of, like, the right being so mad about it, it's, like, it's truly making Ken sympathetic that saying that a matriarchal society is as bad as a patriarchy, which in Barbie land was proven not true. But the Barbies still have to apologize. It's pink and blue. Like, I don't know why the conservatives are so mad. Yeah. Or, like, articles about people walking out after 10 minutes with their kids because it was, like, inappropriate. I'm like, I do not know. I can't. Yeah, but our friend doesn't want to take her daughter, and I really liked what she said. No, she doesn't want to. No, no, no. She said she would take her daughter to the first half and not the second half. Yeah, but I think you should just tell them. Yeah, so, like, I don't get, like, why the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes was offensive to anyone. That's what I'm saying. I think it's people who just, like, think women should be moms and that's that. Like, maybe it was the baby dolls being crushed. Like, I don't know. Oh, maybe, yeah. But um, yeah, our friend was basically like, yeah, my daughter is seven. She loves Barbie. Like I want her to see, I would like let her see the first half, but not the second half where like the patriarchy takes over and a woman does a monologue about all the ways that it's terrible to be a woman and that like you have to be thin all the time. And even though that's like such a retrograde like thing, like we don't, I don't know. It's like, like I said, like it's I said before, you have, Lizzo, joke. you have Lizzo doing a fucking song and you have a plus size Barbie and then you're saying, oh, all women want to be thin. Like, it's crazy to me. Yeah, it's like, stop telling girls they could do anything they put their minds to. It never occurred to them that they couldn't. You know, like that's yeah. the Sarah Silverman thing where it's like, that's, that's the thing with the Barbie. It's like, I don't think young girls... I even think that all most kids think their moms are the most beautiful people in the world. Yeah, you know, like daughters, like all di- like little kids. You know, we're pushing the thing on them. Like I just don't, I don't know how real the Barbie, like affected kid. But I, you know, Disney movies affect kids. It all does. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I take it back. I have to think about that point more. But it's just like. I never was like, I need to be this Barbie. Like, I like Mrs. Potts. Like, that's... Yeah. Turn me into a teapot, bitch. Like, that's what I'm about. (laughs) 
That's what I'm about. Anyway, you can, we're out there talking about Barbie and other places. So if you want longer versions of that, but uh, we got to get our podcast started for today. So let's go, baby. Yeah, and tell us what you think. DM us, like, let us know. But it's just like, also the person that cried at the end of the group that I was with was someone where I'm like, you're so annoying. So then to me, anyone that was like crying, I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. But I did cry a couple times, but it was like random parts. Like, and some parts like hit me as a mom or whatever. Like, you know, it was just like. And shout out to Kate McKinnon, of course. She was good. She was so fun. All, 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 all the acting I thought was fun. I wish they'd given some people bigger parts, you know, like Issa Rae I wanted to see more from, like totally. But I thought yeah. the acting that we saw was good. And Ryan Gosling he, is very funny in it. He did a great job with like what he was given. I think we just don't like what he was given. No, it's fine. But why can't Barbie be funny? Yeah. Why can't the Barbies have a song? It's like, it truly was centered around men. Men had more lines than most of the Barbies. Midge was silent. <laughs> oh, yeah, the pregnant woman. Oh, my God, pregnant Like, Midge. even Alan, even Alan is this other hero, and it's like, everyone's like, Alan and Ken. No one's even talking about the Barbies. <laughs> yeah, It's just so upsetting, true. but I love Barbie. And then it's like the Polly Pocket movie is going to be Lena Dunham, and it's like, I love girls so much. I, but the ending actually is similar to me than this movie. It's like a disappointment and a betrayal to everything you were, like, I wanted it to be. But, like, can we have other people? It's just, like, it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. It's just, like, one white woman at a time. It was so white. It is the whitest movie. And people keep saying, and I keep seeing people say, like, I love the Barbie movie, great message or whatever, even before they critique other things. Like, I saw a male comic that we both know go, Fun movie, great message, but the jokes were hacked, blah, blah, blah. I didn't like the jokes. And I was like, whatever. Like, what's the, me- I want people to explain the, the message. message? To me. Yeah. The message was interesting. The message is become a ghost and be trapped in the Barbie factory. That's the message. Sacrifice everything you are as a woman and a person to go be a, a ghost in a factory. Go to the gyno, bitch. That was the end of Barbie. Sorry, we didn't give a spoiler alert before this. If you haven't seen Barbie, apologies. Um, But let's get started. We've got a great pod for you guys today. Don't go anywhere. Okay, so Wednesday's Child. uh, Very on trend, you know, with Wednesday. Who ended up being so annoying. Do you find or no? Wait, what do you mean? Like, the actress who plays Wednesday in Wednesday just oh, became Jenna so Ortega. insufferable. I know <laughs> she's a child or whatever, but, like... <laughs> she's, like, 20. I mean, like, she's an adult. Insufferable. Like, she is so annoying to listen. Like, you didn't feel that. Oh, um, I didn't watch Wednesday. No, no. I'm not talking about in the show. I'm talking oh, just- about... Her in general, yes. like her on SNL and stuff. Yeah, I didn't really her like her interviews like, of like I just woke up every day and I studied my lines and I and I, I didn't blink. No, but then she also had that thing where she goes, I just like redo the writer's lines because I think I like know the character better. And it's like, okay, they're professional writers though, ma'am. Like, I'm all for ad libbing, but like you can't like rewrite the lines of the writers. Wait, I just googled this. Do you know what Wednesday's Child is a reference to? No. It's some kind of um, fortune-telling song or like a nursery rhyme that says, Monday's child is fair of face. Tuesday's child is full of grace. Wednesday's child is full of woe. 
Thursday's child has far to go. Blah, blah, blah. It keeps going. And the child born on the Sabbath day is Bonnie and Blythe, good and gay. Okay, so I think I was born on a Tuesday. Rosie was born on a Tuesday. So Wednesday is a problem child. Wednesday's child is full of woe. So if your kid is born on a Wednesday, throw them out. Well, that makes sense in terms of Wednesday Adams being, you know... Yeah. A little nutty. Oh, maybe that's where her name comes from. I think so. We just cracked the code. That's cool. So yeah, Wednesday's Child, season 15. It is episode 14. Hulu would have you believe otherwise. Um, But we are correct. So it is a terrifying start. Truly, I gasped. It's William (laughs) Lewis. Um, It's a ghost. It's a vision. He has a full (laughs) scar, a waxy finish on his face. Um, tight little haircut and a tie, and it's a shadowy in the night vibe. And he is saying, TikTok, Olivia. And an old timey thing is ticking back and forth. It looks like a science clock. I've never, I've not, it's not a Like cuckoo. a metronome? Yes, that's exactly okay. what it is. Or not. But the the <laughs> movement you made with your hand is the movement. I. That is <laughs> yeah. what I saw. Yeah, yeah. And then a tea kettle whistles. The digital clock says 448. But our baby Olivia is not sleeping. And it's a nightmare or is it a living where, like, is she awake? So anyways, the horrible vision is happening. She has a little baby bob hair do. I'm also shocked she has a tea kettle, honestly. She's such a coffee girl and she would never drink instant coffee. So like, I get that you can contain multitudes, but I am confused. Maybe she's trying to drink tea to go back to sleep. Just the whole tea kettle threw me for a loop. Yeah. I also think she should have an electric one. I don't know. I just... But this is 2014. Was everybody doing the electric yet? Well, I know the Russian community was. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like they just became popular in the last, like, three years. But maybe I'm... No, but you don't drink tea either. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. You're right. You're right. No, the Traegers have had electric, electric tea, kettles tea kettles ready. Ready. Yeah, the, t- the, oh. the water gets, it's boiling. My family doesn't even, oh, well, you know what? My dad does Chemex, you know, and now Jared does Chemex. So my whole life, we grew up with a tea kettle, but it was just to pour into the Chemex for coffee. Did you just say porn? Pour. Okay. <laughs> porn. I said pour into the Chemex, so it did sound like porn. <laughs> you got me. I got porn on the mind. <laughs> But whatever. She does smile, though. She's not getting sleep, but she smiled. And maybe the thought of him being dead. But I I found joy with her. But then we see something else. She's at a store. She's at a drugstore. She buys a pregnancy test. So was that the smile? I don't know. So across the world, there's a man. And he's at a gift shop at an airport. And he's on the phone. And he's telling his woman. He's like, I'll be there soon. And he's hot. His name is John Benjamin Hickey. And he's been on Watch What Happens Live twice, so okay, I like that. 97 credits. He does work. Um, and he was in two season one episodes as ADA Mark Hickey. Um, and he's at the hmm. Helsinki airport. Hello, Finland. I've been there. So <laughs> I, I noticed that flag and I knew it. I could recognize it anywhere. Remember when I was going to become famous in Finland? That didn't happen. <laughs> Did not happen. There were um, there were some Finnish people at the in the audience of a show this week, and I was like, "Did you watch this show?" And they had no idea anything about it because <laughs> it was it was going to be my fascism escape plan. Yeah, they'll welcome you with open arms. Celebrity Lisa Traeger, beloved friend of Finland. Yeah, I thought that that was going to be the future. 
No, but this is the story of my life. I make every opportunity like New Year's. And then after every opportunity, I go, huh, well, it's about the journey anyways. That's what happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always like, this is when the money's going to come in. And then I'm always like, you know what? What a great life. It was a great experience. (laughs) (laughs) Another one for the books. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to escape fascism as quickly as I thought. But um, (laughs) it it was so fun. I mean, to touch a reindeer. I mean, it looked amazing every second of it. (laughs) Yeah, lifelong Except for, yeah, one bad producer, but everything else looked great. And even we hugged at the end. But she also said, I think you're going to be famous in Finland. And maybe um, she evil-eyed me. Yeah, I was just going to say. She cursed you. She took me down. So anyways, so this daddy in Helsinki, he's like, how's Nikki? The mom's like, he's better. He's better. And the mom is played by Jody Markell. She went to Northwestern and her big thing was eight episodes of Big Love. Did you watch that? She was Wendy I Hunt. I did. Okay. I knew I recognized her. She. I don't remember exactly who she was. I feel like she was like maybe another woman in the community or something. Oh, but you I think so? A show about well, polygamy? Well, I don't know. I don't remember this woman in like the braids with like the thing. Maybe she was in the she real life in the part f- of it. family. You're right. No, no, but- no. Not, but like, yeah. She could have been like, sometimes they interacted with a lot of real people that were like, what are you guys, you know? So oh. I got to- Okay, um, Bill's secretary and the company's junior bookkeeper. Yes. Okay, so not in the church. I remember her. Yes. Yeah, secretary vibes. Yeah, okay. there we go. Perfect. Okay, so daddy, you know, daddy's like, I love you both. See you soon. And then it's like, yeah, right. It says to be you. Good luck. <laughs> so then Benson comes to work. She sits at her little desk and we have Amaro Rollins Finn. The gang's all here. And Amaro's like, you okay? And she's like, yeah, bitch, I'm fine. But then she tucks her hair behind her ear and sighs. So it's like, what is like, what is up? So she's now out in the cold being like, oh, hi, Brian. Um, I've been trying to call you is now a good time. And that's, of course, Cassidy, a.k.a. sexy and toxic. Then it quickly cuts <laughs> to Olivia in therapy with her dude. And Mr. she's- Mr. Noodle, Bill Irwin. He's been out on the picket lines here in LA. Wait, but Mr. Everybody- Noodle's been out? Yeah, well, this guy, Bill Irwin, is like a big... Whenever we talk about him, I think we forget to mention that he's Mr. Noodle and people write us and we want you to know that we know he's Mr. Noodle. But Mr. Noodle, what can you give me even the reference? Oh, Sesame Street. Sesame Street. Sorry. Okay. Is that right? Um, Let me just... Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so weird, the episode... Wait, this isn't the episode where um, she has a dream that she's kissing him, right? No, it's not, but we have to take this Mr. Noodle photo on Instagram, him and Elmo. <laughs> I cannot. Oh my God, he's so silly and cute. Okay. Okay. So it quickly cuts to live in therapy. Um, and it's her dude. And she's annoyed because, you know, she has to take care of a lot of people in her new position at the squad. Being a boss is hard. And the therapist is like, honey, I know they're going to mom the shit out of you. That sucks. But like something's on your mind. So tell me what's really happening. And she's like, well, I thought I was pregnant. Um, but I'm not. And I know I should feel relieved. And Brian does. And therapy man, Mr. Noodle. Is like, nah, you feel how you, like, who cares how you should feel? How do you feel? So she tears up and admits that she imagined this whole other life. And before we can even finish, we go back to Finland business daddy. He's getting home. And this is so American, like, to go wake your kid up in the middle of the night. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that is the most American thing. It, it, <laughs> let your kids sleep. <laughs> it's so wild. 
But thank God he checks because his son is not there. Nikki is missing. He turns on the light in a panic. The camera spins around him. It's a stressed out dad. Lisa is sleeping and will not wake up, but also she is clearly fake sleeping. This angle <laughs> is not comfortable. She like she's fully at a like a hundred and twenty degree angle on her side. Like it. <laughs> It, no, but that would be laying down this way, up this way, more acute, like not 90, like she, 45. She's like up on a lot of pillows. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah, remember. yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> I actually pride myself on being good at geometry. So I'm really upset that I fucked up these angles. <laughs> it's okay. I am devastated. Um, so anyways, but she is fake sleeping. It cannot be comfortable. So she fake wakes up. It's like a bad play and all the lights are on as well. Like it's full lamps and she, it doesn't seem like she smoked an indica jeter. You know what I mean? It's not like she <laughs> passed out from all that keef. So I'm confused. So she's like, oh, Nikki's asleep. And it's like, no, 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 he's gone. And she tries her community theater best. But also I want to say the actress is killing it. It's like the bitch mom is fake sleeping, but the actress is playing a fake sleeper so well. <laughs> so I know this is very meta, but we're at the credits. And now we're back and it is, it's, I know this is like obviously well-known in our community and worldwide, but the song is just so good. The intro yeah. song is just so good. No, and like every day you guys are sending us new videos on TikTok of people just absolutely nailing choreo to this song. And, and it's don't like- don't worry. We will make our own soon. We just have to hire a choreographer first. <laughs> I want to be somewhere where it starts playing, like on like a, like a techno version of it starts playing on a dance floor. I would love that. No, yesterday I started having fantasies of like walking into the SVU theme at my wedding, but <laughs> would that be gauche? You know, it is crimes. Yeah. Like, but like a nice violin, like do, 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 do. I was as at you a walk down the aisle. I mean, I not aisle. I, I would shed party. a tear. I would shed a tear. Oh, not aisle, into the party as your entrance. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yes. Boom, yeah. boom. And then you just come out. Oh, my God. Because I was just at a wedding and they came out to the Succession theme song. <laughs> they did? Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And then I was DMing someone um, that I met in Boston and they were telling me about their wedding. And they also came out to the Succession theme. So I think that's in the zeitgeist. So... But the song, it's like, I never oh, skip. I we watch so much SVU. I don't think people realize at times, like, it, you know, it's the episodes we work on, but we're also watching episodes to find guests at all times. And like, yeah, it really is constant. And I've never skipped intro. I don't think anyone has. It's just like, I don't know. Just, I don't skip, I skip the song. I don't skip the song, but I do skip sometimes in the criminal justice system. If I'm in a rush, if I'm in a rush, I skip in the criminal justice system. I just Thank have only so honest. much time. I just had to be honest. I don't get to skip the song, though. I do love the song. It is just so good. Um, okay, so we're back. Anyways, um, winter wear is going on. Benson and Amaro are in black beanies. And Olivia has a fur-lined hood that is insane. It is so fluffy. Did she go to the Burlington Coat Factory? <laughs> <laughs> that is what immigrants wore in the 90s. That is not... Burlington <laughs> Coat Factory. I told you, that's what my mom used to wear. My mom used to... I would see my mom showing up at Hebrew school for, like, one of my things with, like, her little fluffy hood bouncing behind her. Big fluffy hoods. 
big fluffy hood is so 90s. It's so, I don't, I haven't seen a big, fl- well, I live in LA. Amaro also is like, live, chill. You didn't have to come. And she's like, no, no, no. The father works at the UN. This is high profile. So Nikki Moore, he's seven. No ransom demand or evidence of forced entry. The mom is Lisa. She's a stay-at-home mom. And the dad just came home from receiving a humanitarian award for third world neonatal care. So... And, you know, then he comes home to his own kid missing after getting awards for helping other kids. So now we have an old lady and it's not a bucket hat. I don't know how to describe the shape of this hat, but I'm going to go into detail. So it's a bucket hat, but the top of the hat is not tight on your head. It is puffy and the flaps go straight across. It's a fuzzy short top hat. (laughs) And she's a neighbor and she's telling a white floppy wool hat Rollins like, oh boy, that little kid, he's hell on wheels. He runs in the street. He is wacky. And then we get exposition from the mom. He's from Georgia, from the former Soviet Union vibes. He was adopted two years ago by the family. Tom found Nikki at an orphanage and she goes, a godsend. And Benson asks if there are other problems in the home or has he run away before? And something catches Benson's eye and she's like, wait, did you, what, that window is open. She goes, oh yeah, I opened it. The heat was so hot. And she's like, oh no, did someone come in and take him? And Benson's like, stranger abductions are very rare, but it is a ground floor. So maybe he walked out. And the mom is like, why would he do that? Benson runs off. She can't talk to this mom. She's deranged. And so um, she's getting the info, blue pajamas, trains, um, but the winter coat is hanging. So that's not good. So this kid is just like in pajamas in the winter in New York, out and about. And so we, have some dad time with Amaro and he's like, listen, my kid is wild. He has no friends. He's a bit different. The first five years of his life were at an orphanage. So he's going to have some issues. He doesn't bond with, you know, other kids and it's tough. And he even has a tough time with these adoptive parents. Um, and, but he's super friendly actually in a bad way. He doesn't understand social order. So he doesn't understand family, then friends, then strangers. So he's nice to strangers. Um, and he gravitates towards strangers. He has a lot of socialization and developmental issues. And that's just the truth. And it is really convenient that this guy does UN child behaviors, (laughs) you know, like it's cool that he knows everything. So the mom starts to panic and to Benson, she's like, fuck, like he had a bad day, but I can't believe this. And Benson asks, well, what was the, what's the day? So they were in Connecticut driving back from their house and she homeschools him and Amaro runs in and interrupts because there's an added issue. And the dad is mad at the mom and, and he's like, you didn't tell him about the pump? He's shocked. She's like, oh my God, I didn't think about it. And um, they are all worried now. And he only has enough insulin for three days for his diabetes. No prints anywhere, no street cams, no sign of kids anywhere. Can we track his insulin pump? Well, we will get a ping when it's low on the phone, but it doesn't have GPS. So now um, we have future pedophile Hank Abraham on the scene. (laughs) And Benson's like, I don't know who the fuck you are, but I'm not interested. He flashes a badge. He's acting deputy commissioner for public information. He has an annoying smirk and the squad hates him. But he's like, we got to let people know. We got to get the word out on the missing kid. Press briefing in 10. Benson's like, wait, what? So she has to chat in front of the cameras in 10 minutes. But... We have a door guy from across the street who told Rollins that Nikki had um, talked to a street guy called Keys. He does the alternate side parking for the block. Now, this is a storyline on Seinfeld as well. Are these guys, these guys must exist. I've just never encountered a Keys type guy. 
I think so because I think my aunt had one because she my my aunt that lived in my apartment before me on the Upper West, I think she had a guy that would move her car for her. But I ne- never had a car in the city for more than like a few days. So I never really, I just had to wake up early and fucking move that. I hate all that in the city. It's so annoying parking. Well, I just don't get where you put it because if you're one person, you run around. But if it's like, okay, Keys is doing the whole block. So he moves every car. Like, I, well, I can't even like, comprehend. Well, on my block, everybody just moves over and blocks the cars on the other side. So, oh, like double you, parks. Yeah, everybody. So if you're keys, you just move every car on this row right across. And then those people just can't fucking get out. But if they do, you're around. So you can move the car. And then you just chill there on the block until the time is over and then move them all back. Damn. And how much, dude, we got to find out how much your aunt was paying. Like, I'm I know. so curious. <laughs> I hope And then my good. my other aunt, the rich one, obviously had a garage. <laughs> <laughs> so Abraham is not loving the spin of this, um, you know, situation. But it's like, honey, none of us. Like, what are you talking about? You think we like that there's a missing kid with diabetes? So anyways, <laughs> it's fucking freezing. And who is Keys? Andre DeShields. Are you fucking kidding me? Tony Award winner for Hades Town. I did see it. I was in the third row and he deserved it. So I live a good life. (laughs) And if you want to feel something good and inspired, you can watch his Tony acceptance speech. I think um, it's it's a really popular one. We will post it. And holy shit, I'm just giving Kara more errands. I'm like, Elmo, (laughs) Andre. And he also plays Keys again in season 22 in the episode Postgraduate Psychopath. Oh, Wow. And he's in an episode of Sex in the City that we will all remember. It's when Charlotte tap dances. He's the tap dancing teacher. Um, he was on The Wiz in Broadway. He's got an Emmy, Grammy, and Tony. So we got to get him in an Oscar flick quick. We need an EGOT here. Yeah. He's a choreographer, director. He's done he's it all. He's like on. Somebody for, for somebody, he's somebody for Quentin Tarantino. Get him into something. Yes. And he's j- just a theater legend. And, but he is a black man. So once there are cops, he puts his hands up right away. And they're like, oh, no, 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 chill. We don't care about the car. But he's ready. He's he's no spring chicken. He knows what's happening in the streets of New York. So they're like, all right, give us the scoop. So he knows the kid is a good kid and he's missing. And he's like, fuck, I saw him last week for the last time, Tuesday afternoon. And they're like, how do you know it's Tuesday? And he's like, that's my job. Like, I got that spot Tuesday until Friday. And she came back Sunday, took a Monday spot. But it's a holiday, so she could keep it there. And I'm loving this little moment. And he's so focused on the cars. And, you know, she came back Sunday alone. That's what Uh the cops are worried about. He's like, I got a great spot. And they're like, okay, the kid, the kid. (laughs) So she pulled in. Nikki was not there. And he doesn't know where Nikki was. She took in the groceries, but she didn't check the back seat or the trunk or anything. And then he has a little catchphrase. And he goes, hey, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I All like right. that. Well, so Candy Burris was just on Watch What Happens Live with Aaron. The I one saw. Of, you did watch. Okay. I didn't watch. I just saw this clip where she goes, where she said what you're going to say. Yeah. Oh, the good advice. Yeah. Candy is the longest running housewife, which I didn't uh, realize. And she gave Aaron good advice. And she said, just tell the truth. Don't lie. Because then they're going to show a clip of you lying. And it's just not worth it. Tell the truth and say what you mean and just mean it. Like, double down. Like you said it. Yeah, yeah. Like they're gonna, they have everything you said taped. Don't make them roll the tape. Yeah. 
so I bet, and I bet a Mariska was so excited that Andre DeShields was on set. Oh yeah, because she's like a Broadway stan. There is no way she wasn't like, oh, hi. Like, <laughs> there's no way. She fangirled. So whatever. So they searched the car and Amanda's like, whatever, who, fuck the car. Let's check the easy pass. Like, let's do that. We're on an island. And so the dad is stressed at the squad room. It's been 12 hours. They let him know that they don't trust the wife and he does not love that. But she's in the room with Amaro and Benson the, and the woods blinds room, not the cement bars room. And they're pushing her <laughs> on the time. That, I, that's so funny. I I always try to say like, it's not interrogation. It's like an interview room rather than interrogation because it's not cement. It's not cement. Yeah, it's like blinds and wood. You're right. You don't understand. When I wrote it this succinctly, I went, finally, finally. I don't (laughs) know why blinds, not cement and bars. I love it. Oh but my God, it was I'm always that. like the wood, what with the thingies? It's the nicer room. It's yeah, the, yeah. I mean, the it's amount the room of where they sit words. in a swivel chair and they get to have like yeah. a, a piece of paper and a pen or whatever. It's not like the <laughs> dead bars and cement. Yes, got it. No, but I, I couldn't have been more proud that finally we have such a succinct way to discuss it. And I'm glad that you've been struggling for dozens of episodes too. Yeah, so we're in the wood blinds, not cement bars. Remember that. <laughs> um, is that merch? Is that like best friends bracelets? Like, <laughs> I, I'm the wood blinds room. I'm the cement bars room, you know? <laughs> I, it sucks. I, between us, I feel like I have to be the cement bar room and I'm pissed about it already. I don't know. I would say I am maybe a little bit more of a rigid personality than you. And so maybe I'm the cement room. Oh, that's how you see I'm it. very into like logistics and organization and that's get in the cement room and let's get it done. I'm not as, you know, welcome to my home as you. Yeah, I've never <laughs> let anyone into my home. No, but in your <laughs> in your spirit, you're welcome my, to my home. <laughs> yeah, if I just had one more room, people would be at my house all the time. I love to host, but yes. it's just not possible. I have, I have so many boxes of liquid death in my studio apartment. I can barely <laughs> open the door. Thank you, Joanna Angel, for sending me these liquid deaths. But <laughs> I, I am drinking them. Look. I, I want to try one of these Arnold Palmer liquid deaths. I, I have tried. When Great. I come over to do laundry this week. <laughs> yes, bring them over. That's my payment. I want three Arnold Palmers for you to use my laundry machine. So they're going to push her on timelines, details, get info. She mentions the groceries, but also Nikki was asleep and he's seven. So how'd you get him in the house? And she's like, excuse me? And it's like, yeah, bitch, they know you're lying. You're done. Um, She doesn't like the line of questioning. And they're like, how many groceries? She's like, why does it matter? They're like, well, how would you carry a seven-year-old with win- in winter with a bunch of bags? She goes, why are you asking me this? They're like, well, is it possible Nikki wasn't with you when you drove back from Connecticut? She said, are you insane? Of course he was. And they're like, are you sure? And then they show her a photo on the bridge. Nikki's not in the car. So she starts to cry. Benson's like, Lisa, when was the last time you saw him? She she starts sobbing very loudly, like drool teeth, all of it. The full secret has been released. She, through tears, gets it out. She had to do it. I had to. I had to. You would have done the same thing. I had to. She looks down and drops her head. And Benson's like, yeah, got you, bitch. She's also like, God, like, 
where is he? You know, tell me where he is. Um, so now we have Amaro Rollins and Benson in the spy window and they're so frustrated she won't give any details. She just keeps saying I had to do it. And the husband has no idea, Amaro asks, and Finn pops out of a corner like, nah, the husband, not a chance. So their plan is to put daddy in the box and see if she'll spill to him. So let's go. He just doesn't even get it or can comprehend it. He's like, what does this mean? She's like, I had no choice. He can't, he can't understand. Um, so she couldn't take it. She was losing her mind. He's like, where is Nikki? And then she's a gaslight toxic queen. Instead of like, say, like answering where Nikki is, she goes, well, where were you? Hmm? Where were you? And it's like, where's your Helsinki? And it's like, well, we know he was getting a humanitarian award, so you don't look good. But then she has a great point. She was alone with him for six weeks. What? Dude, you can't go to Helsinki for six weeks when you have like a special needs child. Come on. Six weeks is a lot. Or bring them with like six weeks yeah. is a lot. But then he comes back and goes, I said we could hire someone. And she screams unarmed guard. And it's like, okay, why not? He said, let's hire help. Like, I, you can't. Yeah. He did leave, but it seems like he's wealthy. You have two homes. So to show how wild he is, she says that he opened the car door when they were going 70 on the freeway. I would not be happy about that. Amaro cuts in. He's all business. Like, out of nowhere, he's like a vampire bat hanging and just, like, appeared. Sexy as hell. But he has a sad question, and he goes, is Nikki alive? And the dad puts his hand on his face, and it hits him that that's a possibility. And he's like... Oh my. And she looks dumbfounded and says, I could never harm a child. So Benson goes, okay, great. Then tell us where he is. So she gave him to someone um, who said that they could handle him. And he screams, you gave my son away? She looks down, kind of embarrassed. Okay, to who? The orphanage wouldn't take him back. And she's bitter about that because they didn't tell them that like he had all these problems. City foster care would be a nightmare. Okay, so where is he? And she's like, a family that knows how to raise boys like that. And the dad is clearly very mad. She said they were a strict religious family, but wouldn't let them know that they're names. And it's like, you gave your kid to a person whose name you didn't know. That's bad. So she's like, well, the family said a clean break was what was best. And the dad is like, why would you lie? And Benson waves her arm like, enough. And then swings a chair to the table to get eye to eye with this woman. And then like, like it's Benson in business. Like she's in business mode. It's intense. It's like the urgency has stepped up. She looks right at this bitch and goes, who is she? Who is she? Start talking. And she goes to the woman, you know, there's a service. She found it online. And the woman said she should, she would come right away. And I wonder when it will hit her that she like fucked up. I can't believe a real person would do this, but also it's SVU, so I get it. And this is an Emmy-worthy performance. So she goes, no, it's legit. I gave her power of attorney. Everyone's face drops. She's like, she seemed really nice. And the dad is still hand over mouth. He cannot believe what this woman that he's like shared his life with has done. This is like fucking wild deal breaker. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not. It seems like he stays with her. Like, I don't get it. But I guess he really understands the brain. Oh, God. So now we see Hank Abraham in the office, and he's summarizing what just happened with Benson and the family service lawyer, Pippa Cox. We love Pippa Cox. They are married, and it is funny. Like, there's not one vibe of marriage here. This is the only episode they ever appear in together. This is the only scene they ever appear in together, besides when he gets, you know, busted. Pedophiled. Yeah. Yeah, I am shocked that there's not even, like, a little... 
look. Like, it yeah. is so funny. So, and I love seeing, like, old office phones. It reminds me of my past, so I like it. So now they have to figure out, like, the baby broker and get to the bottom of it. And Hank is like, you go arrest the mother. And Pippa hops in. She goes, yes, I can charge her with filing a false report, but that's it. I can't do anything else. What? what? <laughs> Wild. What do you mean you can't do anything else? She dropped the kid off like a kitten on the highway. Great analogy, Benson. <laughs> Great analogy. And Pippa, and that would piss me off. Um, And Pippa gets it, but there are ways around, like, the law, unfortunately. And Connecticut allows for non-legal transfers of children. Cool loophole, Connecticut. What? It's also, like, they're not, they're not, I guess they have a house in Connecticut, so maybe they're residents of Connecticut, but it's like, I can just go home and give one of my kids away when I'm visiting my parents. Just like throw them to someone else. It's Good to know. <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. It's fucked up. These internet middlemen. Um, Hank calls it re-gifting. Pippa has to give a shout out and say re-homing. And then, um, no, but nobody is tracking them at all. Like, these kids are just being traded around in Connecticut. And Hank is like, well, we told the whole city the kid is missing, so we need to tell them, like, the kid was found. And it's like, that was your idea. Like, this is so classic. Like, you demanded a press conference, and now you're using the press conference against everybody. Like, yeah, shut up. But also, Connecticut, they have no jurisdiction. But Benson doesn't give up, and she has a light bulb moment. Don't both parents have to sign off? And Pippa says yes. So this is great news. They're both legal custodians, and the father reported him missing. So then, like, Benson can work on the case. So they do an Amber Alert immediately, and we cut to... Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac. It's a college in Connecticut. It's also a college in Connecticut. That's how I know about it. Um, And it's a childcare center in East Haven, Connecticut. And and it's January 21st. And I'm mentioning the date because I want everyone to understand how cold it is. Oh, yeah. January, baby. It's fucking cold. This kid's And has anybody like talked about like when she dropped the kid off, did he have his pump? Did he have his insulin? Or was she just like figure out the diabetes part or what? Yeah, they mention it later. She did drop him off with pumps. But yeah. It is fucked, and they haven't mentioned it yet. Um, So they go to this child um, (laughs) gifting area, and um, it's patty mayonnaise. It's Patty Mayonnaise. Her name is Constance Schulman, and she's here to play. Um, And you might also know her as Yoga Jones in Orange is the New Black. And she's like, yeah, I found a new family for him on Wednesday. Okay, Wednesday's child, another (laughs) meaning. After Lisa dropped him off. Am I doing a good (laughs) You did really sound like her at the beginning. For one second. (laughs) You did. She lived in my neighborhood on the Upper uh, West Side. I used to see her and her kid all the time. Wow. Yeah. I just used to see her and be like, it's Yoga Jones. That's really cool. Um, And so, like, basically, Lisa dropped him off Tuesday and Wednesday. She found a new family. Quick. And Finn is like, okay, well, the dad didn't sign off. And she's like, oh, yeah, the dad wasn't involved. And then Rollins is like, okay, well, give us the info you have on the family. And she has, like, a really goofy magic, this like, school bus vibe desk. Like, <laughs> it's messy and all of this. And then I was like, wait, but did Miss Frizzle even have papers? And did she even give those kids tests? Like, no, I she was a hands-on. Miss Frizzle was hands-on in that magic school bus. I loved magic school bus. <laughs> I really did. Um, but it's also like, lady, do you still not see an issue with what you're doing? Like, her energy is very, like, optimistic and childlike. And it's like, <laughs> is this an act? Or do you really think what you're doing is an okay enterprise? Um, but 
And this is where she says, Lisa brought extra insulin. Oh, that's good. And the new parents understood the pump. She goes, you know, because the dad has some issues. And Finn's like, what issues? And then she says, he's in a wheelchair. And I don't understand how a pump and a wheelchair have anything to do with each other. Like, just because someone's in a wheelchair doesn't mean they know how to work on insulin pump. But (laughs) to Yoga Jones, it's the same. Like, it's equal. (laughs) And she goes, well, that's why they couldn't adopt through normal channels because he's in a wheelchair. And that makes me be like, oh, well, that, okay. I guess that makes sense. But there's still like, get information. They truly, there's no info. There's Alexa and Roger Smith is the names we get. Rollins reads the address out loud. And Finn knows the address of Yankee Stadium wildly. And it's the Yankee Stadium address. So the music swells. She goes, oh my God, I feel sick about this. So she is just dumb. Like she's just dumb and thinks she's doing a good job. She's so upset and shocked. And I do believe it. And But then she just goes, she seemed like good, they seem like good people, but they have no IDs, nothing. How do you not take an ID of someone that's taking a kid? Crazy. I just, I can't even understand this. Are you going to answer any of my questions in the real crimes? Like what is fucking going on? I mean, there is something similar, but I don't have any answers to these questions. It's crazy. I just want to know, like, does this bitch, Yoga Jones, think she's doing a good job? Or is she a criminal? Or does she not care? Like, what is happening? You're not yeah. going You're not going to photocopy an ID? At least say these IDs are fake. Like, at least say I took an ID and then they turn out to be fake. Like, it is it is really crazy. Oh, God. And then she goes, I could draw a sketch for you. <laughs> So then finally they're like, okay, like we hate you, but what kind of car? And she does have details. It was a church lady van blue for a handicapped driver and the license plate frame was a dealer in Mount Vernon because she remembers thinking about George Washington. So that is helpful and there are sketches. So now we're in the squad room and we have pics. We have all the information. They're known as Roger and Alexa Pearson. They're both on the registry. Um, He's a producer and she's a former porn star, but obviously... There's more to their registry shit. It's kid stuff. So they were busted in the past. He did eight years. She got probation. And now they've adopted Nikki. And it's like, what the fuck are they doing? Roger has four other aliases. She has three other aliases. And also the photos, it looks like she's going to Burning Man. Like everyone going, she seemed nice. Is so strange to me because she has feathers in her hair and a fedora. She looks deranged. The amount of eyeliner on. Like, I, I, like, I just... Uh, She seemed nice. She seems hopped up on drugs and about (laughs) to like dance to the disco biscuits. Like there's no way she looked like a family woman because there's other like criminal, like Margot Martindale played like a, you know, a person who chained up kids in a farm. Yeah. But it's Margot Martindale. And I can understand if someone goes, oh, she seemed, she seemed nice. Yeah. But not Rosanna Arquette. You know what I mean? (laughs) Dude, you know what's crazy? Rosanna Arquette just a couple days ago was trying to park her car at a Malibu shopping center. And instead of reversing, she went forward and she slammed into this thing and like took out three pillars that support. It's like nobody got hurt. So it's like, you can kind of laugh about it, but it's this like wild, like oopsie daisy, Rosanna Arquette. Like I heard about it on another podcast and I was like, oh my God. But she's like this, this, their whole family, I feel like has like this wacky, they just have like wacky vibes in the Arquette family, I feel like. So basically, this Alex, Alex and Roger, there they found a bunch of 
evidence of them being on rehoming bulletin boards. So they troll for unwanted adopted kids to star in their movies. This is dark. And then they're like, well, we got to find these people. Like, what about the FBI? And Amaro's like, no, the FBI says that like these kids have not showed up in any videos yet. So we sigh some relief until Rollins is like, yeah, but it could be a live stream. And it's like, fuck, it could. And then Benson's like, listen, these are grifters. Look for welfare, unemployment, disability checks. We will find them. And Finn links them to VA payments. So, hell yeah. Um, so they go to the address of where the VA payments um, go. Nobody is there. The neighbors um, told them that the old tenants left after Hurricane Sandy, and these people showed up saying that they were relatives. The thing is, they just look so shady. Is this like a whiteness type thing? They literally look like the textbook definition of grifter people. Like, that. This there's like a picture of these two people. Because it's also, the guy is from Sons of Anarchy. He's, he's like big... Um, like a big presence, gray, long hair, gray Mark beard. Mark Boone Jr. Mark Boone Jr. is this guy's name. And he was, he's on Sons of Anarchy. He's like, he, yeah, he looks like he's either a biker or a former porn producer who's now making child porn. <laughs> like, that's kind of his look. Yeah, and he looks like a Boone Jr. You know what I mean? <laughs> So, um, you know, they knock, knock. All the doors and windows are boarded. And the neighbors are like, we did hear kids playing, but it looks empty. But they're in there. They ca- they're calling for Nikki. And then they, they, while they keep looking around, they're like, oh, they left in a hurry. I'm sure they saw the Amber Alert and ran. They find three girls' sleeping bags. And they find um, Nikki's train blue pajamas. There's also a video filming area. And there's a ton of blank DVDs. One is in the machine. Rollins presses play. And it's really dark. Like, it really is. Like, they can't really show anything because it's NBC. But the tones and vibe they create really show a darkness of... Yeah, it's disturbing. Child sex abuse videos, but without even showing anything. It, it, they really... I don't even know how they filmed this. Like, I really don't even get it. But there's a tall girl in pigtails and a short girl in pigtails. And they, like, sigh. Like, they hate doing that. Like, they're, like, old pros in a way. The kid's like, I'm Janet. Like, it's really sad. And they're in schoolgirl outfits. And they're like, oh, you know, come join us for a play date. And they're trying to include Nikki. And Nikki's like, get the fuck away from me. Nikki's just in the corner. He's playing. He's shaking no. And he refuses to be involved. And then Amaro is like, if this is what they left behind, what the fuck did they take with them? So Benson's in the office pissed off. Like, how hard is it to find a giant blue van and a man with a wheelchair? And I do feel they're aggressive about wheelchairs here. Like, we, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, you can't just... There's a man in a wheelchair. It's him. You know, <laughs> relax. Um, not relax. It's important. But I don't like their vibe of like, how hard is it to find a grifter in a wheelchair? And it's like, they're not all grifters. Anyway, so then they're like, where are the girls from? There's no fucking info on them. Nowhere. No missing kid lists. Nothing. Only screen grabs from porn. Um, and they're trying to track those down. And then humanitarian dad and the worst mom in America run in and they see the screen of all the investigation work. And they're like, wait, fuck, do those people have Nikki? And they turn off the screen really fast. And um, she's like, "Um, I told you not to come here. We'll tell you if we find anything. He's like, please, I know what child exploitation looks like. I work at the UN. I've won an award. Lisa (laughs) gasps. And finally it hit her. And she goes, what have I done? And he's like, shut up. It's not about you right now. Finally, someone shuts her up. This is um, a narcissist, yeah? 
The woman? Yeah, still just she about struck her. Me, she struck me, though, also as like very pilled out. Like the whole time I was like, this woman's on pills. She's like trying to make it through every day. She can't handle this child. She's like self-medicating. Like she doesn't seem like she's all there. No, you're so right. I don't know. She is pilled out. You're yeah. right. You're right. Um, I also don't understand. Like, okay, you have a kid and you don't want it because you're a bad person. So then you give your kid up in these weird channels. Okay, I can, I see that. Why are you adopt adopting a child takes so much work? So like, how are you adopting a child? That's a lot of paperwork, years of wait, and then well, give we'll, it away. We'll get into it on the oh, that's what in the real explain. yeah. Okay. Because that, to me, it's like, it's like, I don't want a kid. So, like, for me to start adopting would be so... Yeah. But weird. And then I go, never mind. Yeah, we'll get into it. You're right. You're right. It's just... (laughs) It is just so sad to think about these kids just dropped off in Connecticut. And, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyways, so the reason the parents ran in is because they did get a low insulin blood sugar warning on their phone. So they're scared at, well, the dad is scared. Oh my God, look, I wrote the mom seems heavily medicated. Yes, yeah, okay, we're on the same page. (laughs) Uh, Benson then yells to the squad to put out an alert to every pharmacy and like whatever with photos and the insulin scoop. So we um, end up at Cross Bay Pharmacy. It is Rosanna Arquette. And I know her the most from the L word. She has wild sex scenes with Kate Menick. Oh, really? Yeah. And also Pulp Fiction is huge for me, but she has 157 credits. Oh, yeah. Like, she was a really big star of the 80s and 90s. Like, I used to see, I remember seeing her in this really creepy movie with Dennis Hopper. I don't remember what it's called, but it's, like, in my mind. Like, I have, I like, when I see her, I have, like, flashes of this movie. Like, it was just on HBO. I could probably look it up or one of you will DM it to me. But, yeah, she was in, like, um... Wasn't she the other one with Madonna and Desperately Seeking Susan? Or oh, yeah. who's that girl? Or yeah, like Maybe. she's yeah, she's a big eighties gal. Now and nineties. Dennis Hopper ever not put shivers up your spine. I know. Like Dennis Hopper plays an evil person so fucking good. But she's at this pharmacy. It's in Howard Beach, Queens, and. So the photo of the suspects you see are, like, in the view of the pharmacist. They're hanging on, like, the bulletin board by the computer. And the pharmacist is doing a great job keeping her there. She's not, like, giving signs. You know, like, usually people that have to do this are always failing. And this bitch, you could tell she went to a good college. So she's getting (laughs) impatient. But Rosanna's getting impatient. And she's like, you know, they don't know that they're selling for cops. She's wearing the same fuzzy hat. Like, these fuzzy hats, I guess, were in. Um, But this one's leopard print. and And so then the cops are finally there. It's Finn and Rollins. There's a chase. And then she thinks she's going to escape, but a car hops out. And then Rollins tackles her to the ground. And it sounded like it hurt. The Foley artist came to play this day. (laughs) And so then we got this bitch. Finn and Rollins um, are in a leave interrogation. So we cut to like the future and they're leaving the interrogation room and they're like, fuck, this bitch is so tight. She won't say a word. Um, Amaro runs in with a file though. And it's the reason they went easy on her, he says, like why she got probation. So I wonder what it is. So they run in rejuvenated that they have this file with information of her sad story of why she got probation and he and Roger went to jail. So um, they're like, hey, girly, you've had a fun run, haven't you, Alexa? Child porn, identity theft, pandering with adolescents. Now we can add kidnapping and child endangerment. And she doesn't seem bothered. She doesn't know 
what they're talking about. She's like, do you see any kids in danger? And they're like, we have the disc. And then they accuse her of like pimping out the girls and pimping everyone out. She goes, pimping? No, she scoffs. She goes, play dates. Um, She goes, I gave a home to kids who nobody else wanted. And we have not broken the law. We're all about taking care of kids. And they're like, Nikki, so you care? Well, his insulin is dropping. So tell us like where he is. And at that moment, like she's such a good actress at that or a director, whatever, like whoever's in charge of this. But like, as soon as the insulin dropping starts talking, she has a smirk across her face. And it's like this knowing smirk of now she has power. She has a bargaining chip. So they gave her a little bit to work with, but they need to know where Nikki is or he's going to go into a coma. And then that'll be on, you know, you and Roger. And she goes, no, that'll be on you. You arrested me. Like he would have had his insulin by now. So let me go. And Ben Benson's like, wow, Bethany, wow. Wow, Bethany, wow. Talk about women supporting women, wow. <laughs> but you are bargaining while the kid is dying. That's hardcore. And Benson has seen hardcore. And she says, lady, you have no idea. Anything these kids have had to do, I did backwards in high heels from the time I was six. And Benson's like, I get it, girl. You clearly had a hard life. Street life, They, you got turned out as a teen. You, you, know, you lost your baby, Charlie. And she says, don't you talk about him. So the baby was born premature because of fetal alcohol syndrome. Oh, it was, the baby was only one pound four four ounces and they shame her and around the clock care for two years with this baby. And uh, so they use the love she had for the baby to like prove how she does care. And that's why she's caring for Nikki. So, um, She's going to break. She does cry. You don't know what it's like to lose one. It leaves a hole in your heart. And they're like, so where is Nikki? He's okay. You know, Roger's making sure he eats. And Amaro's like, feeding him crap's not going to help him. He can still die. Benson is like, I know you want to do the right thing. I see it in your eyes. And she's like, please don't tell Roger I gave it up so easy. Please. So now we go to a motor lodge and the squad is vested up. And, you know, the hair is bouncing down the motel halls. The gorgeous, the gorgeous. Uh, locks. And so the kids are inside. Stella and Madison, pigtail cutie girls, are in there. And they're like, oh, you're looking for Nikki because no one, I guess, has ever looked for them. This is so sad. Um, So they're like, yeah, mom went to look for medicine and never came back. And then there's like, this girl's mature as hell. Um, And like fully composed as vested armed cops run in. And she's just like, hey, yeah. Like, no, no stress, no stress, slay. So then um, <laughs> yeah. so then they say, Uncle Roger took Nikki out for a treat and they were left there. And then they realize someone else is in the other room and they're like, please, no, don't go in there. And then another girl pops out, Caitlin, and she's an older teen vibe. And so she's in the room and she's protecting a baby. There's a fresh ass baby in a diaper in the other room of the hotel. Motel. So then um, the three girls have to care for this baby in the motel room. And I hope we get these girls a better home soon. And I just like, it's so sad that they're all so unwanted. So then Finn is yelling at the motel desk clerk, like, you're not being helpful. Tell us who this fucking big ass dude is. So we find out the wife took the van in the afternoon. And then when the sun went down, he left with the boy. So then Benson gives the baby off to an ACS worker. And then Benson looks off into the distance. And the girls don't get out very often and they need to be kept a secret. And so Caitlin's on the bed and she's like, yeah, it's always don't go near the window. You know, she's haunted by the direction. Stay inside, Caitlin. Stay inside, Caitlin. So she's very obsessed about 
about it, but she aged out of webcamming. Um, so now the young kids do it, but Nikki's not a good listener. So he hasn't done any videos yet. And the baby is not on camera at all. And Roger brought him home as a Christmas present to Alexa and it made her really happy. And Benson's like really pissed now. And so she's in the box with Patricia, our cat. And she's just like, bitch, you know? And she's like, whatever, nobody wanted them. And Benson is like, including this baby, you really think someone handed their infant over to a stranger in a wheelchair? Yeah. Again, just so anti-wheelchair. Anti -wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. That's fucked. So she said, but I, I get in the context of this, but like it is just yeah, But it's jarring. like, you guys look crazy wheelchair or no wheelchair. You look insane. You are insane. Like yeah. we don't need to even bring up the wheelchair. She says that Roger said he found the baby at a train station bathroom and she didn't ask any questions. And Benson is disgusted with her. He wasn't going to be like the other ones, she said. CJ was my baby. Knock, knock. Rollins needs Benson. She takes back the photo of the baby and walks out the room. Finn and Amaro found a witness who um, saw Nikki get on a bus to the airport. So they're rushing. So um, they're going to leave the bitch to rot and they're off to JFK. And they're handing out flyers at the airport for the boy. I mean... To be able to help in an investigation while I'm at one of my pl favorite places, the airport, I cannot. Like, if I got to a, a help us find this baby while I was in the lounge, I would suit up. I would start searching. <laughs> I would get so involved. But nobody has seen him, unfortunately. And so Amaro's like um, with the secret camera security crew and we have a spotting of um, him a half hour ago, but there's no tickets for Roger, any of his aliases. So it's really hard to get past TSA without like a boarding pass. We also haven't seen a man in a wheelchair with a boy, but then Amaro sees something. He's like, hold up, roll it back. So they zoom, zoom, zoom and into the bathroom, um, like a wheelchair goes in, but Nikki was not with him. So they rush to that bathroom and they find the wheelchair but nobody in it. So now we're back with Patricia Arquette and Benson is smug and she says nothing, but then shows her an iPad with the security footage from the airport. And what do we see? This motherfucker walking. He's in a beanie and he is walking out the airport and she screams, that son of a bitch can walk. And Pippa's like, oh, you didn't know? She goes, I've never seen him take a step. He made me do everything. And Benson is one track mind. She's like, the boy, the boy. What would he do with Nikki? Where would he leave Nikki? Does he have an accomplice? And she's like, I don't even know that man anymore. And it's like, oh yeah, a child pornographer gif grifter um, <laughs> faked being in a wheelchair. So shocking. Like, <laughs> She's acting like he's been this great guy. Um, but now it's gone too far. It's like the people who decide not to vote for Trump for like the dumbest reason eight years in. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> So she screams she doesn't know what he would have done with Nikki. She's crying, um, but she confirms there wouldn't be another accomplice. It's just the two of them. They were never apart. She goes, we were never apart. Pippa's like, girl, protect yourself. Are there friends that would help him? And she responds, Roger stepped on everyone he knew to get to the gutter. And I really like that line because it's kind of like fucking your way to the middle, you know? Like, yeah. I, I like it where you didn't even get anywhere by being the worst piece of shit. Yeah. Um, so anyways, where would he go if he was in trouble? Where what would he do? What is up? So they go to a Chinese restaurant, which, which to me is comedy. This is a Neil Bear moment. Like, <laughs> where's this big wheelchair guy? The Chinese buffet. Like, it is just <laughs> so 90s. Um, and he has ordered, I would say, no less than 20 dishes. This is a full delicious dinner for eight, and there might still 
still be leftovers. I'm pretty and sure I that be we. This, I want to be there. Like the food I'm looks sure good. We used a screen grab of this dinner we as sure like a did. happy Thanksgiving post one year. <laughs> we did. We absolutely did. I I just love it. And like the server tells on him immediately. Like, I've never seen someone just point to a man so fast. They probably hate his ass. He is Homer Simpson, but with worse. But like, in terms of food, like, this is a Homer Simpson episode (laughs) where he goes to all-you-can-eat seafood and then, like, bankrupts the restaurant. So, he's chewing on his way out. He's sticking ribs in his mouth. He, like, is trying to escape to grab more bites as he's being carried out. Like, he's (laughs) like, what? We're going to leave the dinner? He, like, cannot believe they're going to waste the food. He's like, at least let me finish dinner. But they drag his ass out as he is chewing like a llama on a rib. And they start questioning him and he keeps denying knowing where Nikki, who Nikki even is. He's like, deny, deny, deny. And they're like, fuck, we hate you. So, and they're like, and we know you can walk. So shut up, you liar. And he's like, whatever. It's the best. You can park anywhere and your girl gives you sponge baths. And that's twisted. This guy is twisted. But then he has a good point. He's like, oh, the people that gave him away want him back. Okay. And Amaro says, Alexa gave you up, babe. You're done. She turned on you. He goes, no way. She's loyal as hell. And then they show him the photo of him walking at the airport. And he goes, oh, man, you showed that to her? (laughs) Yeah, there's no bro code, code, man. (laughs) No, thin blue line is not for you, honey. Amaro (laughs) says, last chance, tell us where he is to avoid getting the pedo charge while you're in jail. And he's still not being helpful, which is tough because no one wants to be a pedophile in jail. But he's like, listen, I gave him some juice to chill him out and I dumped him off at a donut place. And that kid is a pain in the ass. And I just love that even like famed child pornographers like, Nah, man, like that kid's a mess. So they, and by famed, I mean in the bad way. I'm not like pro this guy, clearly. Um, (laughs) They're back at the airport and the security is telling Rollins and Benson, like we looked everywhere and we cannot find him. Then it clicks, like maybe he went on a plane that reminded him of home. And I love this kind of little gameplay. There is a flight to Georgia and the worker's like, oh, this is a domestic terminal. And it's like to Atlanta, he's a kid. He wouldn't know. (laughs) So they run to the flight that's supposed to be going to Georgia. They rush up and down the fl- you know, the aisles. They check the closet. The bathroom's locked. They make the flight attendant open it. I love the way she opens it. It's fucking hot. And um, the kids passed out cold. They're like, is there a doctor? Is there insulin on board? Oh my God. Uh, but the kid's okay. We're at the hospital. Benson is greeting Lisa and Nobel Prize dad. And Benson <laughs> lets them know like he's been through a lot, but... You know, you can see him. And the dad's like, um, I'm going to go in there first. <laughs> Benson and Lisa are left together. She goes, I know what you're thinking, but I was having a breakdown. And Benson goes, so you call someone or you ask for help. You don't just discard a child. Do you know how lucky that Nikki is alive and unharmed? And also it's like, there is trauma, I'm sure. But like with what he's already been through, is it just a drop in the bucket? Like, how does added trauma compound on itself versus yeah. just this is life? I am very curious that like, I mean, this is how those Sybil characters come to light, you know? Like, yeah. So much abuse. You just keep shattering and shattering. I have not seen that movie. You know Me that neither. Movie? I knew people that watched it in school. They used to show it in school for like... um Psychology. Not Sybil, the other one with the guy, James McAvoy. Have you seen that one? Split. 
I actually watched that movie and I don't like to watch scary movies, but that one fucked me up. It's yuck. It's not. It's Wait, not. Betty Buckley's in it. Oh, I don't remember her. So then Benson goes, honestly, if there were any better options for him, I would recommend that you never fucking have him back in your life. And she walks off. Like, Lisa, you do not get sympathy from Benson here. Yeah. Lisa yells, it's going to be different this time. And Benson, without even looking at her, goes, I hope so. Um, but he's so happy to see daddy. And, you know, he's like, I got you. And they're hugging. And hopefully this kid can get it together. And dad is like, let's try this again. Lisa walks in and Nikki looks at her. They look at each other and nothing is said. And I'm sure he will strangle her to death one day. So Hank, or not. Okay, so then Hank, Pippa, and Benson do a hospital walk and talk. And he's like, hell yeah, way to go. You rescued the girls and the baby. The mayor wants you to do a press conference. You're getting awards. You're getting attention. And they're like, babe, we have work to do. So send our regards to the fucking mayor. <laughs> um, so they still have to go charge Roger and Alexa and make sure they go away for a long time. They also have to find the parents of the other kids. Nobody has come forward yet. Hank is so upset by this. He's grossed out, even though he probably has a membership to their streaming channel. and he's like what's wrong with people I don't know ask yourself that Hank Abraham future pedophile (laughs) Um, but they're gonna mention the missing kids in the press conference so now they're at family court discussing baby boy Doe three girls went into foster care and are awaiting permanent placement but nobody has claimed the baby even with all the press coverage there's no records of this baby anywhere there's no matches so then the judge played by Jane Howdeshell a beloved actress as Jude as Judge Ruth Linden. She goes, it's tragic nobody wants this baby in a time where so many people yearn to have a child. But you know, this kid is unclaimed and a destitute child. So the baby will stay in child services until efforts to find someone to take care of the baby come up. Then it's like the TikTok noise from the beginning of the episode happens. And then, you know, Benson is just staring off, sad, listening to this baby news. Dick Wolf, baby, I am done talking. Get to the ads. Get to the ads. Well, that's, but that's baby Noah. This baby is baby Noah. We baby find Noah. we find out later. Yeah. Um, so this is technically his first appearance as he well, came it to is us. Good. Because you also yeah. mentioned Wednesday's child is a fortune telling thing. And uh-huh. I feel like this episode is a fortune telling to her getting Noah. Yes. Yeah. She's having this dream. It's like a foreshadowing. Test. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Enjoy our advertisements and we shall return shortly. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens, and of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club, and there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know 
know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Okay, we're back. Um, so there's this is based on a couple of different things. One is specific, one is more overarching. So I'll get into the specific case first. This is based on a case of Sky Metawalla, who was two years old when he disappeared from the area of Bellevue, Washington, uh, which I think it's like outside of Seattle. Uh, his mother, Julia Biryukova, um, was a Ukrainian immigrant and a stay-at-home mom. Uh, and she said she was taking Sky, who was sick, to the hospital, along with her daughter, Miley, who was age four. Julia said her car ran out of gas and then wildly she pulls over because her car runs out of gas, takes her four-year-old daughter, but not her two-year-old Sky to go find help. What in what world? Conflicting reports. Some say she was gone for two and a half hours. Some say she was gone for an hour, an hour and a half. But when she returned to her car, Sky was gone. She left him strapped in. To, it, it's it's so fucked up. He was never found. He would be 13 years old today. No one has any idea where Sky Metalwalla oh, is. Oh my God. I know, God. it's horrible. But the cops found out later that her story did not add up. The That's car also, had- also um, like not an immigrant name at all. Like to have a Ukrainian kid named Sky is very- um... Yeah, and his dad is a Pakistani immigrant. So it's like, it is kind of, uh, maybe they just were like, let's agree on something super American and like modern. It's so American, modern, LA. Like Sky is such a like TV name. But yeah. uh, obviously this is, this is horrible. Yeah, this happened in, in 2011. The cops though found out, what's up girl? Your car had gas in it. Your car was working fine. So what's the story? She also left the house to take her kid to the hospital because he was allegedly sick. No wallet, no purse, no phone on her. Um, she apparently wandered through all these neighborhoods on her way to go get the gas, but like never found, never asked anyone for help. No one reported like, oh yeah, we saw this woman and her daughter looking for help. When she got to a gas station, she didn't even get gas. She called a friend to come pick her up and drive her back to the car, which is when she found that Sky was missing. They also noticed that her account of events buckled up, Lisa, was very similar to an episode of Law & Order SVU that ran in the Seattle area the evening before Sky's disappearance. The episode in question is called Missing Pieces. It's from season 13. Do you remember it? It's where a couple from Buffalo comes down. They say that the car got stolen with the baby in it, but it turns out their baby had died of SIDS. They thought they'd killed the baby, so they'd buried it and then created this whole kidnapping story so that they wouldn't get in trouble. So well, the mom I want to get on the podcast because she's from Insecure. She's the camp gotcha or like, oh, we got yeah, y'all. we got y'all. her. Yeah, yeah. Who's oh, also yes. an avatar. Yes. Not and a couple other episodes. <laughs> Not she's Avatar the Blue People. <laughs> yes. She's in the episode Avatar and she's also in the episode recently where she meets her like daughter she gave away for adoption like later in life. Wow, so I forgot about that one, but I yeah, cannot- she's an all-star. Lisa Joyce is her name. And if I'm right, I just came up with that out of the, my fucking head, which is nuts. I cannot believe that SVU gave this woman the idea yes. of how to try to get yes. her. But also they get caught in the episode. Yeah. Not the episode to use when they get caught. Like she didn't catch the end of the episode. But she doesn't she get caught. Asleep. Like 
She oh, doesn't get caught. Like, the, 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 what happened to this kid? Like, no one fucking knows. So the dad is Solomon Metalwala, Sky's father, Julia's. Uh, at the time, they are estranged and they're going, they're in the process of getting divorced. And he said through his attorney that Law & Order was one of his wife's favorite shows. So this is like where it's all kind of getting, like, come together. So Julia and Solomon, and Solomon, as I mentioned, is a Pakistani immigrant, were in the midst of a divorce and custody dispute when this all went down. Police said it was a quote-unquote strategic decision not to charge Julia with child endangerment for abandoning her son on the side of the fucking road because they wanted to try to get more out of her. Like, I think it's kind of like putting that woman in the box with her husband to try to see if like, well, we can find out where Nikki is. So meanwhile... A couple of years earlier, this couple, um, Solomon and Julia, left Sky only two months old in a car at Target while they went inside for almost an hour and it was 27 degrees out. They said they were in there for 20 minutes and they didn't want to wake him up, but the store camera footage obviously busted them and it was close to an hour. And it's like, I've been there where you want to like go run inside and grab something, but you like cannot leave your kids in the car. Like there's actually a full article about this woman who went through this full, this nightmare. I'll Google it and try to send it to Casey to put into our show notes. But this woman ran into a store to get headphones. She was in a radio shack for like five minutes. Someone reported that she left her kid in the car. I think she left a window open. It was locked, like whatever. But like she lost custody of her kids, I think. She went through a full nightmare for leaving her kid for five minutes while she ran into a radio shack to buy headphones. So you just can't do it. It's like, I read that story pre-having kids and it's like, you just can't do it. So these two at that time, two years earlier, were arrested and charged with child endangerment, but were later let off after they agreed to take parenting classes. So now... The year before Sky's disappearance, Julia was committed to a mental health facility after telling her husband that she had dreamed of killing the children. She was diagnosed with severe OCD. And there's like details about how the husband had to like eat outside and like sleep on the floor because she was so vigilant about keeping the house clean. And that's obviously a result of this severe OCD that she had. So when she was released from the hospital that time, Solomon filed for divorce and it did get messy. She accused him of being abusive and controlling. He said she was unstable, which then leads us to this disappearance. Julia, they said, couldn't take a lie detector because she was too distraught. And when they asked her about all the weird shit, like the car having gas and her going to the hospital without a wallet or a purse or a phone, she pled the fifth. So the police wondered if Sky was ever even in the car at all. And motorists who saw the Acura on the side of the road didn't report seeing a child or anything suspicious. And people at the family's apartment complex said that Julia and her kids did not go out much and they hadn't seen Sky for two weeks. But well, Miley... Yeah, and if you're so OCD, like nothing is messier than a kid. Like I wonder I if that kind of triggered... And a two-year-old. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And Miley, the four-year-old, did say Sky was in the car that day. So the four-year-old, her account is that the kid was in the car. On her Facebook page also, Julia had posted all these pics of Miley, but none of Sky. So you can check my Instagram. There are pictures of Oscar everywhere. It's not just Rosie, everybody. So anyway, Miley was put into foster care after Sky went missing. Custody of her was eventually granted to her father after the divorce was finalized. And Julia moved on, married somebody else and has a baby with them. And I think was going through some kind of CPS thing with maybe getting her kid, that kid taken away. So I don't know. There, the dad says, I like to believe that he's still alive. He's somewhere, you know, she gave him to somebody like who wanted a kid, but I don't know. They've released photos of him with age progression and he'd be 13 right now. Who knows? But Sky Metalwala never found. The episode- that is 
so fucked. I know, it's so fucked up. And it's like, yeah, don't do anything based on Lord or an, Law and Order SVU except for the stuff Haircuts, that's helpful. outerwear. Yeah. <laughs> Leaving your headphones tucked into a car where you've been abducted to prove that you were there. You know, that kind of stuff. So this episode is also based, obviously, in a much larger capacity on the practice of disrupted adoptions, which is, you know, an adoption that ends before it's finalized. And around the time that this episode aired, which was 2014, disrupted adoptions were coming, were becoming more and more commonplace in the years leading up to this episode. This, and this was especially common among adoptions from Eastern European countries like Russia and Romania, uh, where some children were traumatized in their orphanages more than their adopted parents were led to believe. What I've always heard about Russian orphanages is like they're just overcrowded and a lot of kids just don't get any physical contact. Like, I mean, I think we even had a girl at camp one time who was very, very tiny and her parents had told us that her growth was stunted because she was just not touched for the first like year of her life in a Russian orphanage. It's so wild. I mean, obviously like all the early times matter, but it is so overwhelming like how all the touch, like little things affect kids' behavior forever. Yeah, yeah. Like you think I mean, you like, can get them, but if you're not touched or feel love for two years, your just whole life is fucked forever. I mean, that's why they're like skin to skin the minute the baby comes out. They slap that little guy right on you because they want you to like be immediately start bonding with them. But it's, um, it, it, it's just like, not shocking. It makes sense that it would affect your growth forever, but like... Yeah. You know, it's just so important. I don't know. Yeah. I'm really well, like... And the Russians, like a, yeah, they're lying. Because it, it wasn't it another episode? Like a lot of them have FAS and they're not going to like tell people that. What's FAS? Fetal alcohol syndrome. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't I even think, think about that. I think that's really popular in Russia. Like... Oh, I didn't even... Um, I don't know if popular is the right word. Commonplace. Like, common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know what you were saying. So just like in this episode, people do call this process rehoming, which to me, I've only ever heard rehoming talk about dogs and cats, like pets. Like I need to rehome my puppy. He's biting my kids or whatever. Like I don't really love the sound of rehoming, but um, no. a couple of examples. In 2000, a couple in Atlanta named Jesse and Crystal Money disrupted the adoption of their nine-year-old daughter, Kara Lee, who they adopted from Russia and they sent her back to her orphanage in Moscow. They said she tried to throw her adopted brother off of a 30-foot deck and they were scared for their lives. But this guy did a 48 hours thing about it and actually reconnected with the girl, Kara Lee, who now goes by Sabrina, I think. And she has like four of her own kids and a good life. And she said she was never trying to kill her brother. She felt her parents liked the brother more than her and was probably trying to get attention. I mean, it is usually stuff like that. But then they thought they feared for their safety. They said she had like psychopathic behavior. And then in 2010, this is 10 years later, but these are just two examples. Tori Ann Hansen had adopted a little boy named Artyom Savelyev, a seven-year-old that she had adopted from Russia. And she put him on a plane to Moscow. An 11-hour flight, a seven-year-old child gave him a backpack with some cookies and crayons. And in it, there was a note that said, I no longer wish to parent this child. He is violent and has severe psychopathic issues. That's what the note says. 
So this case like blew everything open. Like, so Tori Ann Hansen was later ordered to pay child support for RTM, even though he continued to live in Russia, because I think that he had been naturalized. He had been um, and gotten American citizenship. So he was an American, even though he's living in Russia, you got to pay for your kid. This case kicked off a ton of scrutiny about the international adoption process and Russia's orphan crisis. There was a woman for on the uh, Parliamentary Committee of Family and Children named Yelena B. Mizulina. And she said in 2010, around this time, that Russia had more than 700,000 orphans, which is more orphans than at the end of World War II when 25 million Soviets had been killed. So you would expect an event like that to leave a ton of orphans, but in the 2010s, there were even more. So she said that even though Russia was like hating on the US a lot after this big returning the child case, which I don't agree with, it's terrible, they had huge internal problems in the country. Like 30,000 kids in the last three years within Russia were sent back to institutions by their adoptive foster or guardianship families. So... Like, she's calling it a humanitarian catastrophe, according to the New York Times. And well, because percent- my question is, so it's happening in Russia more than anywhere else, right? Yes. Well, the percentage of orphans is four to five times higher in Russia than in Europe or the U.S. That number is as of, I believe, 2010. And of that high number of orphans, 30% of them live in orphanages. It's so interesting, because I'm trying to think of the cultural stuff, because it's like... Because it's higher numbers of people being brought back, too. So I wonder if the Russians are more secretive than all the other countries or if this happens everywhere. But also, like, there is just a nature of secretism where, like, you're not supposed to admit if your child has problems. You know, it's about, like, lying. You don't want the neighbors to know. I don't know if it's communism effect, but there Mm. is a thing of, like, God forbid. There's just more secrecy shame to these things. Yeah. And I didn't even come across the fetal alcohol syndrome thing, but that's a really good point because I feel like that's an issue, you know, over there. But the other thing is... Because there you're encouraged. Like if you have a baby that has issues, like no one will judge you for dropping off a child with Down syndrome. Like I do... I mean, I'm speaking so generally in like of the culture, but there's good people everywhere, but there's got to be a reason why the numbers are more... Well, the other reason, the other thing is, is experts say that a lot of these kids are kept in these massive orphanages that are like warehouses and they're calling, they call it warehousing young kids. And that being in that huge facility like that also stunts their social and intellectual development. There's also an article that I put in my sources from the New York Times about this amazing orphanage where the kids get, there's so many toys. The kids get fed great. They love it, but nobody's adopting them. They're all like, five or seven and above. And like they said, there was something in the article like over the past year, one kid had been adopted. So it's like, they're they're pretty happy at this orphanage, but like no one is adopting them. So maybe there's a stigma to adopting an older child, you know, like, and not a baby. So I don't know. But in the U.S., the cultural goal is to reunite families. And in Russia, that's not really the goal. Like, you know, I've worked with foster children and like, you really want to find any relative that will take a child before you will send, you want to send them to just a a foster parent. So, um, or someone that's not blood related to them, excuse me. And when people lose their kids, yes, the system can be fucked up, but there is a path to getting your child back. And that is what the government wants to happen. I don't know if that's the case. Apparently, it's also boils down to money. The Russian government spends roughly $3 billion 
annually on orphanages and as of 2010 and similar facilities, which is jobs, money on a regional level, plenty of opportunity for corruption and, and theft. So it's thought that to keep this system running and keep this system profitable, they have to have a flow of children coming in. It's the way that we handle prisons in our country, truly. Like prisons are for profit. Prisons are, you know, like we got to keep people getting busted on small drug charges so we can keep these fucking prisons full. And then so there's these flow of, of children to these orphanages and then it's so hard to even adopt them. Like you were saying in before, like the process, the bureaucracy, like when adoptions were permitted in Russia from the U.S., families, especially from foreign countries, have to pay these huge sums of money just to get through all the bureaucracy. So they're not even making it easy to solve their their orphan problem. And Russian officials, which I read, seem embarrassed that their country has this orphan problem and has to actually give them to foreigners they got a temporary suspension of all Russian adoptions to the U.S. as a result of the RTM case, the case where the little boy was sent back to Moscow. And then that was in 2010. In 2012, Putin signed into law a complete ban of U.S. adoptions by, by um, of Russian children. And that went into effect on January 1st of 2013. So if you remember, during the Trump years, everyone kept saying, oh, we're... Tr- Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump is trying to bring adoption to the table with Russia, like the adoption issue, the adoption issue. And it's like, the adoption issue is not really about kids. Like, because this ban that Putin signed has been viewed as a retaliatory like it has a retaliatory function against the US. That's to get back at them for putting sanctions on Russia because of their human rights abuses. So every time adoption comes up, in these elections with Russia, it's it's like a political dog whistle. Like, it's really just like Russia wants their sanctions lifted. So it's like, yeah, we're happy to put adoption on the table, but it's like, you don't care about actually getting kids good homes. You just care about getting your sanctions lifted. At least the Putin part of it. I'm not speaking well, for the yeah, entire Russian people. yeah, because if you have people. like all of these orphans, like why wouldn't you want them in homes? But like, also, honestly, I don't hate that mom that at least put them on a plane with a snack and a note. Like... <laughs> It's not as bad as selling them to some underground thing. Sure, sure. Which, I mean, that's Obviously damaging and fucked, but I'm like, you know what? Yeah, if you get a kid and it's like the omen, I don't know, just like a little Damien child that's trying to kill your other kids. Like, I under, I, uh, it's tough. It's tough, but it's also like, why are you adopting? You think these kids are just going to be chill out on a seesaw having a good time? Like- yeah, they have, they have trauma. Yeah, exactly. And fucked. I think a lot of the, a lot. I mean, a lot of the, re, there is not a lot of research. Basically, there's not a lot of data because adoptions are private most of the time. Like even the public ones, it's like the disruptions are not always like recorded. It's like it's really hard to get data on this. Anecdotally. I've heard from people who are teachers in schools or work with children that they've had issues with some kids that have been adopted from Russia after long stays in orphanages because they are traumatized, you know? And sometimes I think parents want a white kid and that's why they go to Russia and, you know, they're not prepared for all of the 
all of the issues. There was also a little thing in the research I was doing about this YouTube couple who rehomed, quote unquote, their kid after it turned out he had autism. But before that, they made like a million episodes of content about getting their miracle baby and their their journey to adoption and stuff like that. And then they kind of just like, when the kid had problems, they were like, it's not a good fit. And they, they moved him on. So I obviously can't speak to what people's capacity is if you feel like a kid cannot be thriving in your home, obviously you have to take measures. But um, I don't know, maybe I, and I'm also generalizing. I'm sure I know that there's plenty of people that are adopting children from Russia with good intentions, but well, sometimes- they can't, right? Yeah, but now they can't. Now they can't. But I mean like before 10 years ago. Yeah, so- it, yeah, because there was another... So, social media has definitely added an aspect to this because there was another social media family where they were going to adopt a baby from like Thailand or something like that. And then um, the rules are you can't post on social media your kid for a year. Like you yeah. cannot. And so then they decided not to adopt the kid. And it's like, oh, so you were just getting the kid to post them. Got it. Yeah. No, white people adopt what Christian, I would say Christian evangelicals adopting in our country is like an issue. Because mm. I went to North, I went to, you know, an evangelical college. And the way these 18, 19, 20 year olds would talk about their mission trips to like Africa and stuff was like bragging about their trip to the Bahamas when you were a kid. It was like, it was. It's like a brag thing. It's like getting a new Lexus. They talk about these kids they take like it's souvenirs from a trip. It was really sickening yeah. to be around it. Yeah. And, you know, we know people. I feel like this is deja vu. Have we just talked yeah, about this? Yeah, we talked about this, but maybe somewhere else. Oh, is that yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, but I don't remember. I don't either. Yeah. But we have a friend who was adopted from Korea and by like white evangelical parents. And then when he is who he is, they could not handle it. Yeah. Yeah. So there is this weird, like evangelicals love to adopt, but then they want you to be a straight little Christian. Oh, yeah. Anyway. They, they want you to behave. So it's like even the people, you know, for social media or for your religious afterlife, like no matter how you look at it, if it's not just about the child, you are wrong. Or do we, and what what sucks too, we were talking about adoption. I remember in college, I'll, I remember a lot from college because I was so disgusted by everyone. I went in pretty <laughs> open-minded, but they were talking, we were talking about adoption and I had to take a family relationship class. This is a Christian university I oh went to. Oh my God. But he, the sociology professor, he's passed, but he was very, you know, he was, I guess, spicy for that community. But we were talking about adoption and they were all just like, yes, adoption, adoption. We have to help children. And as soon as it became about gay adoption, it was like, oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it's like, you were just talking about how any, yeah. like, we got to save these kids and all of a sudden, never mind. They Actually, they should be in an orphanage if it's going to be gay. It's like, it's not about the kid. It's about their own yeah. salvation. It's about all these other things. It's like very mm -hmm. rarely about like, oh, we want to give love to a kid. Right. Why would you not adopt a kid you can't put on social media? Like that is, that's like twisted to me. The whole Thank adoption. Thank God they didn't get them. 
Yeah. Adoption is so complicated. Just like watching a friend, like friends of ours that we know, like yeah. went through the process of like supporting a mom and then they renege on it a couple times. And it's like, they actually feel like, oh, well, at least we supported someone who was in need, but it's like heart. They got a baby, thank God, who's so beautiful and they have such a beautiful so family. So but like, cute. you know, I think it's like when you have a nursery ready for this kid to come home and you're, you know, you get, it's like heartbreaking, but it's also like, why is it so expensive when there are so many people that want to do it and can't afford it? Like I have a friend who adopted and it was like their entire life savings just to do it. They're a perfectly great family for a kid. Like, why are we not just matching it up and doing a little bit of money in lawyer's fees? You know, like like well, the way guess, you can get a quickie divorce. Well, I guess you're saying it's because it's like the prison system where it's Well, just there, like, yeah. But I mean, I'm but all, I bet I'm here too. Over. Yeah. What? Because why isn't it free here or what? Or easier here? Like, there's yeah. obviously motives. To yeah. It. Yeah. Totally. If you, totally. If you have more information about adoption, let us know. <laughs> yeah, and um, we will be right back. Any we have resources? Because a- I'm interested. This is yeah. like twisted shit. Yeah. But we have a great guest, so don't go anywhere. <laughs> Okay, before I introduce today's interview, I just want to remind you that this interview was recorded prior to the SAG strike. No one is violating any SAG uh, rules here and no one would want to. Everybody on our podcast fully 100% supports the strike. And I just wanted to point that out before we start. And our guest today is exciting, a true Broadway baby. She has starred in the Broadway productions of The Scarlet Pimpernel, Next to Normal, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and Dear Evan Hansen. She also had a recurring role in CBS's Why Women Kill, but you know we love her and refer to her lovingly as Pippa Cox. Please enjoy our interview with the lovely Jessica Phillips. Wait, so I have to know this because you messaged us on Instagram and I, everyone needs Pippa Cox to slide into their DMs because it was a true thrill. Like I gasped. So how did you hear about our podcast? I'm like, was some friend of yours, like they're talking about you? Like, because we talk about you all the time? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) No, my friend Lane actually um, texted me and he was like, okay, so I listen to this podcast all the time. And he's like, I think he's listened to every single episode you guys have done. And he's like, and they did one of your, yes, they did one of your episodes and they talked about you. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. Did they like me? Because let's start there because actors need to be liked. And so I didn't even know about your podcast until he told me. And so then, then it went down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's how we, that we need that kind of grassroots marketing so that we can get, you know, we, we got you now. We need to get Ludacris, Joan Cusack. There's a few more people. So, you know, everybody's friends need to be telling them. (laughs) Um, So, okay. Where should we jump in here? Do you know my story? How I kind of came over from Warren's musical? No, No, tell tell us everything. That's what we want to know. Okay. So Raul and I, Raul Esparza and I. We're familiar. (laughs) We did a a musical called Leap of Faith on Broadway. We start opposite each other um, in this musical. And, you know, this thing had been kicking around for like 10 years and had gone through all of these various workshops and had done some regional productions. And it just, I think, wasn't uh, taking flight. And so they decided to hire a new book writer to kind of like restructure the book of the musical and they brought in Warren Light to do it. And he had already won a Tony for Sideman. So like he had his, you know, you know, he was on the scene there on Broadway. And 
So he came in and I hadn't met him. I didn't know, I didn't even know this was happening. And a casting director called called me one day and said, hey, can you come in and just do a cold read of this script? Um, and I didn't know what it was. Um, they just want to hear it out loud. I was like, sure, sure. So I walk in the room and it's um, Warren Light and Glenn Slater and Alan Menken, who wrote the the lyrics and the and the music for this musical, and Raul Esparza. And I was like, oh, cool room. So I just, you know, I sat down, I did a cold read of this musical and discovered it was called Leap of Faith and had been familiar with it because I'd actually auditioned for it in earlier incarnations. Anyway, it was weird how it came back to me like that. And then a week later, we they they called and asked me if I would do the a workshop version of it in this with this new book that Warren had written. And then four months later, we opened on Broadway. So it was like wham wow. bam. But they called him in to like just restructure the thing, and um, he like combined some characters and and um, reordered some things. Anyway, it was it was I think very successful until we opened on Broadway and then <laughs> it, we realized it, it was um, not going to last. So we, we were only open for, uh, you know, maybe three weeks. We previewed for like six weeks, seven weeks, and then we were open for three and then we closed. Regardless, through that process, as we were previewing the musical um, for the Broadway uh, production, you know, I got to work with Warren a lot and he would, you know, we would sit down and and meanwhile, like I wasn't starstruck because I didn't really know who he was because I was just a theater gal. Of course, I like watched Law and Order, but I just didn't. I mm. hadn't put the name, the 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 face to the name, right? So I was like, you know, he. We would sit down and we would talk about, um, you know, how to how to uh, what what was needed in a certain moment. He would write a monologue and he would ask my feedback and I'd give it to him. And that's sort of how we functioned through the preview process. And then, you know, once the show opened and we were panned and we closed very quickly, oh. you know, Warren and Raul and I, of course, we all sort of felt like we had been through a car crash together, um, but we stayed in touch. And later that year, he wrote me a part on Law and & Order, and that was Pippa Cox. Wow. Yeah, so it was really cool. And it was like, you know, I, like I said, I was just a, a theater gal, and I just hadn't really done any television. And some of that was because I just worked a lot in theater, and some of that was because I didn't feel confident about my ability to to translate, right? Like I didn't, I didn't feel confident being on camera. So I was like, no, nah, that's okay. I'll just stick to what I know. Mm. And a couple of months before this opportunity came up with, with Law and Order, I was going through a, a, an acrimonious divorce. And I had, I was like in the middle of a kind of really traumatic custody battle. And I just decided that I couldn't work nights anymore, of course. Broadway shows are in the evening. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, okay, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I have to switch gears. And so I think I just sort of forced myself into saying like, you have to go in and audition for TV and you have to like, just face your fear with this and do it. And that's what I did. I booked a pilot wow. and I shot that and it didn't get picked up, but I, you know, I sort of had like my first foray into, onto a set. And then my yeah. very second job was... Pippa Cox. <laughs> Pippa, baby. Yeah. Did Warren tell you that it was going to recur or was like, did when you came on, you just thought it was one or what? He didn't. I think he like might've said, yeah, we'll see what happens hopefully. Yeah. But um, no, I was just thrilled to like have a one-off actually. And, you know, it was, was 
it was thrilling. It was thrilling to be there on set. And like, you know, my first, <laughs> my first day on set was not Wednesday's Child. Um, I don't even remember the name of the episode. I watched um, them all this week. So you did a second. I sure did. <laughs> it was the one I'll tell you, it had a child named Jonah. Oh yeah. It's born psychopath, right? That one. Yes. Okay. That yes. was my first episode. And yeah. Jonah is my son's name. So that's how I remember that. Oh, wow. My, I have two sons and one of them is Jonah. But my first day on set, my first scene, we were in the squad room and, and the entire cast was there you know, like Mariska and Dan and Ice-T and Kelly and Danny. And I mean, everyone was there. And I was, I was like peeing my pants. I mean, I was <laughs> so nervous. And we shot the scene where like, I was standing in the middle. Um, you guys probably saw it this week, but in the middle of like that, they were all in a circle around me and the camera was kind of spinning. And we were doing this like kind of high impact, like, you, you know, movement. And um, anyway, we shot the scene and and then somebody just like yelled, okay, let's turn it around. And I didn't know what that meant. Like I didn't know what that <laughs> meant in TV terms, you know? I'm sure you guys know. It just means they're going to shoot the same scene from a different direction, right? I had no idea. Everyone scattered except me and Ice-T. And I just like stood there. I guess I was waiting for somebody to tell me <laughs> where to go. I don't know. Um, and I was standing there just like, awkwardly looking at iced tea. Like, I don't know what to do. And then I just go, so where do you live? (laughs) Just like an asshole, you know? And, and he looked at me and he goes, I've been here 14 years. I just say the words. (laughs) He's like, lady, just stand down, you know, just say your lines we don't have, and to this day is like the most sage piece of acting advice I've ever gotten. Just say the words, you know? <laughs> and he was so sweet. Um, and so that was sort of my introduction to the set and the cast. And I mean, everyone was amazing. That's awesome. A, a nice circle walk and talk as your first. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Bit yeah. of shooting. Turn and- it around. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you're, you know, the social services DA type of thing, you do work with a lot of kids. So yeah. um, how is it working? Do you have any stories with the kids from... I don't. No, like I never really had any... damages, no? Yeah, I w- there was not... Um, I, I don't have any memories of like having one-on-one with those kids. Mm. I mean, a lot of it was like me standing outside of the... Yeah, you're usually behind the interview glass. Interview room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and even in the courtroom, like, no, I'm trying to remember... Well, um, your kids. You also had kids with the, you know... Yes, but I didn't know that then. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that until collateral damages. Wait, so, so that's oh, yeah, what I so, want to ask you about. Yes. Like, they give you the script for collateral damages. You find out that, A, you're married to Hank. B, he's a pedophile. Right. And you guys have kids together. No like, idea. Were like, you like, what? The, like, Yeah, it blew away my backstory. Like, well, yeah, because had... you guys had another episode where you interacted. And so you didn't know you were married at that point. No, we wow. did not well, know that. This is the only episode that you are in together besides collateral damages. Yeah. This yeah. is the only one. Like the rest yes. of the episodes, you guys are separate characters. So I feel like they right. added this. I don't think they had this uh, conceived from the very beginning. I Probably That you not. guys were going to be married. No. No, probably <laughs> not. And when I rewatched that scene, I was like, yeah, there's no, I don't even think there's a, like a two shot with the, with us in it, you know? Yeah, it was, 
it it was wild because I I mean all in all I I recurred for five seasons and those first four seasons I was like okay uh you know she's like got she's wearing expensive clothes and has a blowout like for every <laughs> appearance in court and <laughs> yeah. every time we see Thank her with you Olivia, for mentioning right? the blowout okay <laughs> your hair looks incredible I mean she is like she is strutting some stuff there and. I mean, you know, ADAs like in real life can't like they can barely eat. You yeah, know? they just don't make a living wage. And so I'm like, okay, obviously she's a trust fund baby, <laughs> right? Obviously she's like just putting her time in to like give back, but um, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't work for the money. You know, I had just constructed this whole backstory for myself and she was clearly single and she was like hanging out with the ladies from Sex in the City every night. You know, like <laughs> this was her thing. She's Miranda's colleague, right? But yeah, so when I got the script for Collateral Damages and, you know, Warren like texted me and he was like, I got a good one coming your way. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I read it and I, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, what? Hank Abraham, what? So it was a it was a wild turn of events to realize that she all this time she had this family and yeah I don't know how much money and Hank makes but dickhead husband yeah seriously yeah because yeah. you are kind of a character that most people like I would say like you have this sort of Alex Cabot energy of like sort of no like very smart DA and then like this guy is just like a. Before a the pain pedophilia, in the ass. he sucks. Even before yeah. the yeah. pedophile stuff. Yeah, he's just a pain in the ass. He's always yeah. bothering Marishka's care, like Olivia. Right. And then you're like, when you open the door, and then when you figure it out, you're like, wait, what? These two? I mean, right. I, yeah, you never know what goes on behind closed doors, but I just was shocked. And yeah. then the pedophilia. But the, it was a great episode for you because you really got to do a lot of heavy lifting in that episode, I feel oh, like. Oh, in collateral damages? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I, well, it's so funny because, you know, every time I did an episode, I was like, I was like, well, um, yeah, like she's, she's like really upset and, and, you know, she loves these kids and, and they were always like, no, she doesn't care. She's like, sees 50 of these cases a day. She's just like, very matter of fact, she's not feeling about it. And every time I was like, Oh, you know, like, <laughs> like, because I so wanted her to be infused with some sort of, you know, empathy and like, right. you know, have something, uh, something to play. But, you know, they are the smart ones, obviously, like they needed her to be matter of fact, like they needed that advocate, uh, the um, Cabot energy, right? Yeah. So, so when I read this, the collateral damages episode, I was like, oh yeah, that's, this is some, this is something. And I actually had a moment where I was like, I don't think I can do this. Like I, this feels like this feels above my pay grade. Meanwhile, on Broadway, like I'm, I'm, I play crying moms all the time. Yeah. This is just like what I do. So, and I got to tell you, like Mershka took such amazing care of me during that episode. It was, it was really a remarkable experience. Um, and to see her work and lead the company that way. Like at one time, point we were like rehearsing something. I think it was that stairwell scene. And she was like, can everybody just get out? Like, I, I just need to clear this room because we just need the space, the two of us, like, or the three of us, you know? So she was just, she was so attentive to the fact that it was like a really vulnerable thing for me to do. And she just didn't want like a lot of extra crew and everything standing around while we were rehearsing it so that like I could get into a good headspace. And I mean, she's just amazing. I know you've heard this from other people, but she really is remarkable. 
Yeah, we've heard it from a lot of other people, but I was one of my questions that I wrote down was like, you guys felt like you had like a good chemistry on mm-hmm. screen. And so I was like wondering if you guys became pals off screen. Yeah, 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 we did. And, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, she... Well, you know, going back to like when I went in the first time for like that very first scene that that I shot, I was standing around like between takes and like I I was by standing by myself and I just kept looking up and like seeing people staring at me and I was like at, like Mariska and like Dan Florek Dan Florek was like staring at me. And I was Ugh. like, "Okay, what's going on with this creepy dude over here? Like what?" <laughs> and um, we did a take, and then after the take, Dan and Marisha, Marisha both come up, and they're like, we figured it out. We know how we know you. <laughs> and it turns out they had seen Leap of Faith because obviously Warren got everybody tickets, and I think they were there like opening night. But they were all standing around trying to like place me, right? Oh, got so it. So it was very sweet. And so at that, from that point on, you know, every time I was on, Marishka would be like, okay, so tell me about singing lessons. Okay. Tell me about like, yeah, she's like obsessed with Broadway, right? Yeah, Yeah. she is. And so we would talk about voice lessons and, and all things, vocal technique. And, and, um, you know, she was like, I mean, it's just amazing to like that. She, she cared enough to ask about other people. I mean, you know, it just, when you, when a star of that caliber, you would think like, okay, they're probably just going to go into their trailer and not talk to anybody, but she's, you know, she just likes people and she's lovely that way. Yeah. Yeah. We literally just get everybody. I don't know that there's another person like in the business that people feel so positively about. Like yeah. maybe Tom Hanks. Maybe it's Tom Hanks. Maybe Tom Hanks. Hanks. Oh, yeah. uh, Mariska Hargitay and Tom Hanks are neck and neck for America's sweethearts. Yeah. I loved that in season 22, I think they brought you back as just a defense. Uh, attorney. Yeah, yeah. They didn't like ruin Pippa's life completely when Hank got arrested. They brought her back. So technically you could come back at any time. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I guess so. I mean, I'm not dead in a trunk somewhere. So (laughs) yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. It was really like, I was so curious to get that script. We filmed that, um, right after the shutdown. Um, it was like September of 2020. And, you know, it was like everything was just slowly coming back at that point. And, and you know, I mean, it was like all of these zones that for safety zones backstage, or, I mean, on the set and stuff like that. So, you know, it was a, just a weird kind of energy in general. And everyone was so happy to be back to work. I was doing a Broadway show at that, that point and our show was shut down because all of Broadway was shut down. We shut down in March and didn't reopen for like 20 months. So it was, a. It, I was grateful to like have something, something to do and to have Pippa come back like that. And yeah, I was sort of like hoping that they, you know, had a different job for her, like that they were maybe going to put her in, you know, in a different part of the law or maybe make her a judge or something, you know, like to, I'd like to see her well, let's let's be honest. I'd like to see her spin off and sort of have <laughs> have her own life there. Of but, course, but I yeah. feel like Hank like tainted her reputation just by association in a certain yeah. way. You yeah, know, like for there's sure. probably 
so few things she could do, but yeah. I'm glad she's, yeah. you know, we're, yeah, we're, our eyes are open for Pippa to come back at any moment. <laughs> and we do cool. have a mole in the casting department who listens to our podcast. So we want Pippa oh, back. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> well, and this might be like too much of a little Easter egg, but um, we pay attention to the wardrobe so often. And it is usually dark colors, dark purples, we notice. But in this episode, you're like bright orange, orange. outfit. You're the yeah. only person I've ever seen wearing like a bright right ass shirt. Yeah. Do you think that was for a reason? Did you guys talk about it? We did not. No. (laughs) I'm not sure who made that executive decision. I mean, like the wardrobe department over there is kick-ass. You know, they're amazing. And for a long time, they just like kept a closet for me, which like made me feel really fancy. You know, just like stuff that I had tried on that they, they would pull from. I was also like, I was, because I was going through a divorce, I was like, underweight, you know, I was like, I had lost a lot of weight and I was, um, very thin. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't fit that closet anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's such a, I mean, maybe because, you know, they were trying to make a statement about, about her, um, I don't know, because she was a redhead. Who knows? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was going to say, could it be your red hair? They were trying to like make your hair pop yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah. But it was fun. It was fun. Like everything I wore there was just like beautiful. Yeah. What's going on with your Broadway life? We have talked to a lot of Broadway people on the pod because there's obviously so much crossover. And we do like to ask people like, since you've done a lot of Broadway, is there like a dream role that you have yet to play that you'd love to play? Hmm. I just played my dream role in um, Dear Evan Hansen. So yeah. I did that for a while. And um, that show, unfortunately, closed in the fall. Um, yeah, I'd love to play Mother in Ragtime. I mean, just some of the classics. You know, at some point, like, I'll be old enough for, like, um, Mama Rose. You know, those kinds of things. But yeah. um, no, I sort of feel like, I, I mean, I've spent a lot of my career doing original stuff, stuff in development. And I... I think there's a lot of good stuff that has yet to be written. So, you know, I, I've got my, I, I, I'm, I'm like putting all my eggs in the new composer's basket. And I think there's just going to be some great new, like badass women that are going to lead stories in the future. Because, you know, we're still catching up. Women are still catching up. Because you know, most, like a majority of our Broadway composers have traditionally been men and they have written stories about men for men. So, you know, we're just, we're catching up. We're catching up. So I think there are some like amazing roles for women that have yet to be imagined and and put to paper. What's the um, biggest difference about like theater actors and TV actors? Or like film and screen and then, yeah, the theater Yeah, kids. so like theater actors are like super neurotic all the time. And dramatic. And I think like most of the TV actors I've met are just super chill. You know, they're just like, because the because the stakes are lower when you are shooting a scene, right? You're not in front of anyone live. Um, you have a chance to do it over. You're only doing it in small chunks. And for the most part, it's not even chronological, right? So yeah. It just, it just is, it's just easier. And I have to say that it's like a more humane schedule. It's just easier to be on a TV schedule because 
you know, you've got weekends off. I mean, you're shooting long days. Sometimes they're like 14 or 15 hours. But it's days. a lot of like waiting around, right? It's, it's like your call time around. is hours before you have to do anything or you're sitting in the mm-hmm. makeup chair. It's like That's Broadway. Right. It's like, I feel like you get there, you're on stage. That's for it. For some people for three hours. Yes. And like, you know. Yeah, shot out of a can and, and there's, and yeah, and there's just kind of no, there's no sort of stepping off that, that, that train once it's left the station. So yeah. And I think it just makes, you know, it just makes theater people neurotic. Plus, you know, it's not as, it's not as cushy a living. So theater actors have to like hustle big time for their next gig. And that's just, it's just hard on the ego, you know, TV actors are just a little more chill. So they're like, yeah, you know, I get a little residual check here and there. I'll be okay. You know? Um, Will you tell us about why women kill before you go? Yeah. What, I, it looks so good. I don't know. Why yeah, I, that was my, that was my pandemic project. Cause after I shot that episode of Law and Order, I flew to LA and, and, um, and did this series. And, um, are you familiar with Mark Cherry and what he oh, does? I'm like, a desperate housewives. Yeah. Stan. Yeah. There <laughs> you go. Yeah. So Mark Cherry wrote this and it's fun. It's like, um, every season is different. So it's like American Horror Story. It's like a whole new cast and a whole new, you know, plot. Um, oh. So this this particular season, the second season, um, was set in 1949. And so we got to do all of those like cool period costumes. And like they even did our our nails. Like we had manicures that were reflective of, of like that that period of time with, you know, that, that sort of nail art. It was really cool. Um, it was kind of amazing because like, I, I think I was contracted for four of the 10 episodes, um, when I signed on and then I ended up doing eight because as we were going along, they just sort of kind of kept writing and they kept writing for my character. And then in the, I guess, eighth episode, they did a big reveal, but we discover that like my character is gay and she's having an affair with another woman in this coffee clutch, right? That we're following. And what those writers didn't know was that I had fallen in love with a woman in my, in real life and that I was in the process of like, you know, leaving a marriage and... Um, and they didn't even know that? They didn't know. Wow. They didn't know. Isn't that wild? That's so wild how yeah. art imitates life. Yeah. Or life yeah. imitates art. What's the phrase? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, I, you know, I got that script and I was like, oh, <laughs> am I wearing a sign? What's happening, <laughs> right? Um, but it was cool. It, it was cool to film. And obviously, like, uh, I mean, it was all suggestive. But um, yeah, it was, it was kind of an, I think it was like the universe, like teeing me up to you know, have the courage to do that, do, do that in my life, in my real life. That's yeah. So, so that was cool. fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. So that's why, that's why I'm advocating for like gay Pippa as well. Yeah. Gay <laughs> Pippa. Like, let's, let's just get her out there. Like across the board. Yeah. I know for a <laughs> fact that that would resonate with the viewers. Gay Pippa would definitely. I mean, we just got to give them what they want. Yeah. Give the fans what they want. <laughs> 
She was amazing. And I do have to say, Jessica came out on top for me in a personal way. Um, because while I was in New York, my sister's like, I want to see a Broadway show. I want to see Anne Juliet. And it's like, bitch, you could have given me a little more leeway. But then Kara remembered that Jessica mentioned that her friend worked um, at Anne Juliet. And so she hooked it up. And I and got And Lisa went to go see it because we got tickets and from I Pippa Cogs. And I got tickets from Pippa motherfucking Cox. So that's like very thrilling. So thank you so much, Jessica. And being such a good guest. And she listens. I hope, yeah. I wonder what she feels about our rampage about the Barbie I know. movie. <laughs> she is, was so freaking cool. We love Jessica Phillips. What a queen. Um, Honestly, it's just the shock too. Like I saw a comic uh, and a friend Saturday and it was like, oh my God, I loved it. You did too. And I go, not really. It was fine. I liked it. And there were moments, what? Like it's also the shock. Yeah. Like people, like, it, you know, people are like nervous to even say something bad, you know, yeah. because then it's like, you're against women. You know, women should make bad movies all the time. That's like the whole, yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. That's the fun. Now Jared's dying to see it because he wants to, Talk to me about it, but I'm like dreading it. Anyway. Um, well, yeah, because he's going to love it. <laughs> no, he's, I don't think he is. I think he's going to think it's all over the place, to be honest. I don't think he's going to yeah. love it. Um, but do you think he's going to join the right wing and thinking they made men look like idiots? I think he might think a little bit of that. I actually, you know what? I shouldn't even make a uh, thing. I, I think he'll be like, I don't know. They were kind of like mean, like how guys were like so stupid. He I might do like, want to say Jared did put your daughter in your underwear and send her to school. So, oh, yeah. And you're a grown woman. Yeah. So yeah, maybe yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can but tell I him that. But I do wear tiny, tiny underwear. <laughs> he actually, wait, he just texted me. This is so funny. He texted me. He took Rosie to the zoo so I could record. And he goes, Rosie, a quote from Rosie is, that animal is hiding from creditors. <laughs> what? <laughs> she meant predators, but she said creditors. Oh my God. <laughs> Isn't that I, so funny? It is, but I also would assume that Rosie knows what a creditor is, you know? <laughs> That's why I didn't get it. That animal, that animal did not pay her MasterCard and she... <laughs> has been going oh, to Europe. She's so cute. She's um, so I funny. did go to the pool with Kara and Rosie and Oscar and it was really cute. Yeah, it was a lot of kids splashing us in the face and Oscar kept going, me, me and Lisa got pina coladas and Oscar kept going, Lisa, drink your smoothie. Drink your smoothie. <laughs> I liked when he would go, Lisa, do you like ice cream? <laughs> Do you like tacos? <gasps> He's so obsessed with tacos right now because of Dragons Love Tacos, the book. Anyway, listen, we Yeah, love I can't wait. I can't wait for Jared to be on Fox News going, the Barbie movie was mean against <laughs> men. Jared's going to be out at our grill burning them like fucking Ben Shapiro, that little twerp. Um, no, I also, I know we have to talk about this episode. I did, uh, you know, we we watched so much SVU nonstop recording. So I was like, what episode is even in this? So I Googled Wednesday's Child SVU and there are the cutest fucking photos. Go to the images. It's like Amaro, like Danny Pino and the kids from the episode hugging backstage. It's Benson with the girls. It's ah. Benson smiling at the baby. But I love Amaro oh, and the yeah. little blonde girl. It's like so cute. Oh my God, she's got her leg kicked up in the back. She's like loves meeting Danny Pino. Yeah, so cute. it's like really fucking cute. So, so cute. Um, but just wanted to let you guys know if you wanted to see something cute. 
Yeah. And we love talking to Jessica. And honestly, if you're listening, our casting mole, we got to get Pippa Cox back on. She's one of those characters that like is kind of a small part in every episode, but we love her and we love talking about her. Well, I want to see where she is now because she had to leave her job at child services. Um, How do you, what do you do with your kids? Like how, like how do you rebuild your life after you find out that your partner and the father of your children is a full child, child, you know, sex abuse imagery. Uh, He's a pedophile. But he didn't act on it, right? He just had a lot of the stuff. I don't know if pedophile means you have to act on it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And looking at images of children being raped makes you a pedophile. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course, of course. But that's what I was going to say. Purveyor of child sex abuse images. It's the same thing. It's a pedophile. But let's get Pippa back on. I want to see what that bitch is up to these days. As for this episode, the por- the postmortem, Jesus, I didn't realize that if there was- If you're dating a grifter in a wheelchair, push him into a pool, aka <laughs> from the episode Manipulated. You you do not want to be sponge bathing that, like that guy for no reason. Okay. <laughs> you if you start dating someone in a wheelchair, you make sure they're really paralyzed. I would push say, them out. Yeah. Shove them out. <laughs> no. You got to know if they can walk or not. They could be scamming you. And also, don't be shocked when a grifter grifts you. I would say, you know, you think, yeah. Yeah. People are going to treat you the way they treat everyone else eventually. You might be, I don't know if any of you have been friends with narcissists before or psychopaths, but (laughs) they will do to you what they've done to others. Yes. It's, you're just waiting on your turn. It's coming to you. Um, I feel like this, this, uh, the true situation with all these adoptions and stuff is so upsetting too. I mean, I guess we're not really doing adoptions with Russia right now, but I do also feel like there are, like I did reference some cases that are more current where people like, you if you adopt a kid, you have to be like ready for the whole like kit and caboodle of like what parenthood. And it might not just be like a perfectly like neurotypical, perfect child with no issues, you know? And like, you cannot return to sender. I mean, I guess technically you can, but you shouldn't. Yeah, Connecticut, can we get some better laws? (laughs) Yeah. Some stricter laws about being able to dump your kids somewhere. Without, yeah, like no no official transfer, just give your kid to another person. It's so crazy. Um, but yeah, this was a this was a wild one, this episode. And yeah, uh, you can't adopt a kid from a fucking orphanage and be like, act normal, kid. I like what the I fuck? know. I know. It's like it's what you always say from the Colleen Stan episode, like expecting people to act normal after they've gone through not normal experiences and circumstances, you know, is. Yeah, but also the dad, it's just like, don't have a kid if you don't want a kid. <laughs> like, lady. Yeah. yeah. That lady was on pills, man. That lady was on pills. They didn't even cover <laughs> it. Also, I'm thinking the Arquettes. Let's let's get a movie with all of you in it together. Yeah, I want all the Arquettes. Love the Arquettes. Let's get an Arquette family variety show going on fucking Netflix. Nope. Nope, we're striking against all those companies. Something live here in LA. <laughs> um, anyway, let's get into our What Would Sister Peg Do for the week. This is our weekly segment where we direct you towards an organization, an article, a podcast, uh, a, a movie, something that will give you more information about what we talked about today, which was a lot. We talked about adoption, disruption, and dissolution. And so I wanted to point you to some resources at childwelfare.gov. That's childwelfare.gov. Uh, the in the um, article specifically that I'm referencing will be in our 
uh, linked in our stories the day of the show release and will always be saved in our WWSPD highlight. Um, but uh, the resources provided on childwellfort.gov are meant to help families navigate an adoption that is disrupted or ends in dissolution. And links, um, you know, there's some links to some other information there that um, I think can be helpful and instructive if you just want to know more about this topic or if you are in a situation like this or know someone who is. So that's that. Thank you so much for that. And I do have to say one more thing about Barbie. (laughs) With that bench scene where it's like, even if that old woman feels great and is like, oh yeah, I'm beautiful, duh. The world is not treating them the same. And it's ignoring that. Like, that's why it's so annoying when people are like, love yourself. And it's like, lots of people do. It's like, but the world is not gonna... They don't like, they actually don't like, if you're, if you do not look like Barbie and you like yourself, people actually don't like that. So even if the old woman knows it, it's like this idea of like the picture, the stereotypical Barbie of like the beauty we find beautiful telling other people, it's like, stop acting like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, no matter how you feel about yourself, no one will ever be treated the way Barbie, a person like Barbie is treated. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, it's, um, what's the word? It's condescending. Gotcha. Yeah. It's condescending and delusion. I mean, she's a Barbie. She doesn't know the world. Yeah, I think it's, it's like, like her, it comes uh, from a place uh, where she- Opening up. I hear what you're saying, and the movie could have done more of that, but like that Barbie herself, she does not know people get to that age. There is no old Barbie. Like, so I don't think she's like seeing women Oh that yeah, look why like didn't we make woman. an old Barbie? Oh, yeah, old lady Barbie. Her kids are out of the house, and now she loves a glass of wine before bed. Um, yeah. That's Her fun. little side things are like a vagina lubricant. Yeah. Um, what else? Like, There's an old yes, one. A remote Boniva. control. She has little Boniva chocolates next to her bed. I love that. <laughs> oh, my God. She's like, this is a heating pad. I threw my back out doing yoga. Yeah. Oh, my God. We love old Barbie. Stan old Barbie. Um, okay. Anyways, next week, we'll be, we'll be doing lead. That is season 10, episode 15. Lead, everybody. Yes. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstar, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.